Howard Dean Bia here. Yeah, I think we covered it pretty well. <laughs> yeah. Um, so on this episode, if you have never listened to our roundups before, Bia, uh, <laughs> we discuss all the movies or like top 20 movies, good and bad, that we have watched in the past the month. Yeah. In extreme details. <laughs> Not really. <laughs> it's usually like, mm, I don't remember this. Well, the goal- I wrote cool <laughs> before everyone we're like we're only going to talk about each movie for like two three minutes right yeah and then that never happens nope but that's all right everybody nope, needs nope, something nope. to listen to for five and a half hours every yeah. month, every two weeks right and then for our mini segment which is called hey ladies in horror <laughs> Sorry, I just spoke all over it. Yeah. <laughs> it's all good. Um, where we will, what is it? February is Women in Horror Month. Yeah, among other important. Yeah, months. Black History <laughs> Month. I think next month is Women's History. Whatever. Which is why we <laughs> wish that Women in Horror was March. Yeah, it makes more <laughs> but sense. But that's okay. But yeah, we'll explain that when we that segment when we get to it. But yeah. So let's dive. Straight in to our February monthly roundup. Yeah. <laughs> so the first movie we watched was The Blazing World, which is a new 2021 movie directed by Carlson Young. What up, Sundance? Yeah. So we <laughs> went the Sun uh the Plaza Theater was streaming the Sundance movie festival. So we decided to go catch a show and get out of the house. And it was disappointing. Yeah, and unfortunately, <laughs> we chose poorly. Yeah, we should have gone to a different screening. <laughs> there were a handful of movies that sounded interesting. This one sounded very interesting to me. Mostly, it was like, blah, 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 surreal, blah, 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 female-directed, blah, 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 Udo Kier. And I was yeah. like, I'm in, 100%. Udo Kier, yeah. <laughs> uh, do you want to try and describe this movie, or do you want to read the description? Or um, well, it also has Dermot Mulroney oh, yeah. and Vanessa, Vanessa Shaw. Shaw from Hocus Pocus. Who we just mentioned, like, yeah. was, was one of my early crushes, film Hot crushes. stuff, yabos. Yeah. <laughs> yabos, she had the yabos. She still got it. Yep. Um, She's actually not very good in this, I didn't think. Well, she wasn't <laughs> utilized, right? Nobody was. Possibly was a directorial issue. I'm not, not sure. Yeah. So The Blazing World is basically an Alice in Wonderland type thing where it follows this girl who had a twin who drowned in their like rich f- fighting parents pool. Um, and then she faintly remembers or is having flashbacks to this memory where Udo Kier or comes out of a portal and takes his her sister it's with him. Basically, like she kind of fantasizes that her sister is not dead, but just In got taken to like an somewhere. alternate dimension. Yeah. 
So this kind of follows that where she's older now. They're moving out of her parents' uh, like family home, and she's going through stuff that kind of she finds like the portal to yeah. this alternate dimension. It sounds way cooler than what it actually looks like. <laughs> I mean, that's the thing is like, this is very much like a great student film mm -hmm. because, which is the best way I think to describe it because it's like from purely like aesthetically, it's great. Like there's a lot of really cool, the cinematography is really interesting. The production design is pretty impressive for like yeah. a, for a very small movie and for a first time feature. So I think this is an adaptation of a short she did like a year or two ago, maybe. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and I mean, the cast is good and, uh, yeah, it feels like at the best of times, it feels like it's sort of a mix between like Twin Peaks and the fall that, uh, I can't remember. I that never guy. really got Twin Peaks vibe, but it when they got in the, the beginning when they, like before she went in the portal, when she was like at that club and oh, stuff, yeah, that felt like very the Twin Peaks-y. Yeah. To me. Um, but yeah, definitely the fall and had a lot of shining references too. Yeah. Um, but Again, it still sort of feels like a student film. Like narratively, it's really boring. Yeah, it's just it's all style, no substance. Yeah. Well, it's funny because I felt like somehow it was both too abstract, but also too on the nose. Yeah. <laughs> so I was like, okay. <laughs> um, but I guess the emotional core of the movie is such a super duper simple one that there's not really a lot to it really once you get past the pretty looking stuff yeah and that's the other thing like since the director is also the main star i kind of feel like she just wanted to be in a feature film i mean maybe <laughs> I, I mean it definitely shows know. a lot of like talent but it's just not quite there no um i mean yeah what the first thing i wrote in my review was when the credits rolled i looked over at you and said well that was a bit much yeah which <laughs> <laughs> is true yeah um, I'm trying to think if there's anything else. I like the music. Um, yeah, it has. So there's a lot of good aspects to the film. Technically, visually, music, good cast, but maybe not best acting. Um, yeah. I don't know. I gave it three stars. I did too. And it was funny because we were like among the first people to review it on Letterboxd because yeah. there were, I guess it premiered simultaneously at a lot of places. And I was like, man, I, I'm gonna feel really bad if we give like a bad review, and then all, a bunch of people like it. But it seems like uh, every, I was just looking through. It seems like people. Seems like most people we did generous reviews. Agreed. Yeah, most people <laughs> gave it less than we did, so I guess we were about right. Yeah, I'm, I feel like I very rarely like give something one star. Like this is not a one star movie. No, like no, we've seen some one star movies. Yeah. I have seen how many vinegar one star movies have we seen movies, that have been one stars where there's nothing redeeming. Mausoleum. Like at least this looked cool. <laughs> yeah, agreed. It has a lot of cool stuff. It's just not a great movie. Right. So but. Blazing World, you can't watch it anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> Good. Yeah. yeah. Glad you all listened to us talk about it for five minutes. Um, so next movie, we head into Harper's Birthday Extravaganza. Uh, <laughs> so how old are you? 32 now? 33. Are you? Yeah. How old am I? 32. You'll be 33 this year. Uh, I keep forgetting. Yeah. Well, I spent all <laughs> last year thinking I was 33, so I'm already kind of well, used I, to it. <laughs> no, I don't even know what I thought I was. Yeah. <laughs> um, anyway, we started off the weekend movie watching with Project A which was directed by Jackie Chan and came out in 1983. Very misleading title. Yeah, this is a <laughs> rip-roaring adventure on the old Wait, China coast. What did I told you we were going to watch a movie 
by Jackie Chan called Project A, what did you think it would be about? Like a government yeah. CIA Like a thing. very high-tech <laughs> yeah. spy kind of thing. Nope. It's like uh, ni- early 19th century, like, Hong pirate. Kong. Yeah. <laughs> uh, like, street fighting kind of thing. Yep. And he, yeah, he still plays a police officer, <laughs> right? Um, yeah. So, well, he's he was he's like a seaman. He was a sailor, a sailor and then who he becomes joins the police force. Yeah. And then police kind story of a spy. part A. <laughs> yeah, this movie's crazy. Yeah, so there, we kind of describe the plot. There's pirates and stuff. <laughs> I don't know how to describe this plot because it starts as like a military training comedy. Yeah. Uh, to like a street brawler to like a pirate spy movie by the end <laughs> it's all over the map which is kind of what makes this kind of great i yeah. think um it's definitely enjoyable and this was right before um police story right i don't know i uh, thought police stories before this i think this is what he i will double check yeah why don't you look while i read it so um yeah so uh i thought this was a ton of fun yeah this was before police story this is like the movie before right like, well, the first movie he directed before mm-hmm. he acted in some stuff in between the two, I think. Yep, yep. Um, it's really, I mean, it's all over the place and it's goofy. It doesn't really feel like a single movie. It feels like a bunch of great sequences. Yeah. So story-wise, it maybe kind of falls flat a little bit, but it holds it together very well because of, of course, Jackie Chan's crazy-ass stunts. And yeah. The choreography is outrageously crazy. I'm trying to think of the craziest stunt. I really liked, there's a whole fight where they were like, um, uh, were they chained together? The two guys in the restaurant. It was Jackie yeah. Chan and the guy, the poor guy they kept calling like fatty. No. <laughs> Remember? It was the 80s. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, they, they were like mirroring each other and fighting. That was really cool. There was mm-hmm. a bunch of cool stuff with the bike when they were running through the city. Yeah. The final fight in like the pirates, secret pirate headquarters was pretty great too. It was like three on one yeah. with a really big guy. Yeah. Oh, and one good. of those dudes was uh, uh, Danny Trejo. It was his oh, yeah. debut. Isn't that weird? <laughs> He's the pirate. Master, Danny right? Trejo's <laughs> first movie would be in a, a Hong Kong action Jackie Chan movie. It's so weird. Um, or he was the voice, wasn't he? I think it was him. I don't see him listed. He's I thought way he did the, down the credits. Way down. I guess. Oh, it could have been a dubbing thing, but I, fear, I, think I thought it, he, he was, was the, in it. I think he dubbed over the voice. Know. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I guess I should say, sadly, we saw the, it was the, we didn't realize when we rented it, it's the U.S. version. And apparently the U.S. version cuts out a lot. It cut out the bloopers. We had to like YouTube yeah, the which bloopers. Yeah, like, like one this, of the best Why would parts. you not watch a, like, okay. Oh, the Jackie Chan movie has the bloopers. <laughs> yeah. It has like the failed stunt reel at the Get end. Get out of here, Marvel all movies. All the times he got hurt. <laughs> And all the thousands of takes he had to do, which really helps you appreciate the movie. So it's a shame that it wasn't on this cut. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know how it ranks. Well, obviously, Police Story is still my favorite. This is fine. Like, I gave it three and a half stars Me and too. it's enjoyable. But also, I remember at one point we looked at each other like, this is supposed to be goofy, right? Because <laughs> like, yeah. oh, yeah. it was so like, <laughs> we didn't know if it was going to be serious it's definitely or not. More on the com- <laughs> I mean, all of his stuff is pretty comedic, but this yeah. is definitely more on the comedic side. Um, it's, yeah, it's not my favorite of his movies, but it has a few, some of the sequences are Uh, among my favorites. This has the, the clock tower thing in it where he (laughs) got hurt. He was, yeah. He was really scared to do it. He like like, dangles off this clock tower, kind of like Buster Keaton Safety last homage, yeah. yeah. And then he's, he falls and it's supposed to break his fall by falling through like four, um, awnings. Yeah. 
but he lands like on his neck. He like bounced off of it it's or like, it didn't oh slow God. him down as much. Yeah. Yeah. The one that's in the movie looks pretty painful. But yeah. And then the credit alone. one. Is and like, then oh. the one where he got hurt looks like, how did he survive? Yeah. <laughs> it, it reminded me very much of MXC stuff when those guys yeah. like do a backflip and like land on their that's necks. <laughs> but yeah, that's project a from 1983 directed yeah. and starring. So Jackie we had Chan. to rent it. Um, so I don't think it's streaming anywhere. Yeah, but yeah, I would I want I would like to search out and get this. I'd love to own a bunch of Jackie Chan stuff. So we need to look into figuring out where we can get this. Probably well, now we have a region free Blu-ray player. So there's probably like some awesome Jackie Chan collection we can get. That's very true. We should start looking. (laughs) Well, I know who am I. It's top of my list. Who am I? Can't wait to get that movie. I'm not allowed to yell anymore. You said got in trouble for mad. yelling in my ear earlier. <laughs> ears are these, the, my ears are the money maker. You yeah. gotta be careful. To be quiet. Just, what right. was what is that called? Where people AS, whisper? ASMR. And shall we do a podcast no. like this? The it's time. very annoying. <laughs> All right. So moving on to Harper's second birthday movie extravaganza. <laughs> we watch <laughs> You can do that every time. <laughs> yeah. Berber Berberian. <laughs> what? That's how Go it's ahead. spelled. Berberian Sound Studio. It's like they're here you say that. <laughs> Which came out in 2012, directed by Peter Strickland. Um, so it stars Toby Jones, and that's everybody we know, right? <laughs> um, I think we recognized one other Cosimo Fusco, Tanya Sotropopolo. Re- almost the rest of the entire cast is <laughs> Italian people, the Italian pita. actors. Um, so this movie, it, it takes place in the 1970s. A British sound technician who is played by Toby Jones is brought to Italy to work on the sound effects for a gruesome horror film. Uh, but the nightmare of the horror film slowly seeps, seeps into like reality, I guess. Is that how you would describe it? Yeah, that's a good way to describe it. I would say like eventually it's hard for him. It's hard to, to tell whether he's in between. the movie or yeah. not. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, <laughs> like, so I don't know. I had seen this a long time ago, and I really like Peter Strickland stuff. I think In Fabric is super cool, and I thought Duke of Burgundy is really interesting and, and cool. Um, but I feel a lot... I thought maybe watching it a second time, I'd like it more, but I have very similar feelings to this as In Fabric, which is that the first half is... incredibly awesome and like perfect perfectly matched to my taste and then the second half is uh, a lot less interesting to me yeah that's what i wrote in my review that it's super close to being something amazing but then it just kind of falls flat well it's in this movie in particular it's because then it gets like in in fabric it's literally like an anthology yeah which we didn't know it was gonna be an anthology and like the first two stories are great and the third story is not as nearly as interesting yeah and this one it's just that like when it starts to get more surreal and abstract and less grounded then it becomes less interesting because Mm kind of start to not really understand what the point is oh yeah like Later, I think we watched like the director explain, and it's it was like, like I don't, stuff, yeah. I didn't agree with what his intent was. I guess so. For me, I thought it was like going into hell or something, or being trapped in the like limbo in purgatory as a sound technician. <laughs> yeah, well, he said 
he said basically the movie is about how we like internalize violence that we see in movies and stuff and how that can be dangerous to watch stuff, which I but it's not totally disagree with. <laughs> do you know how many like bloody movies we've watched? Yeah, and, and I mean, like, I don't murdered, go out like, murdering two people. people. <laughs> I mean, come on, could be a lot worse. Um, I find that Howard Dean noises at people. (laughs) Yeah. I find that pretty problematic as a theme, but I don't really feel like that's what the movie necessarily is about for me. Anyways, it it. feels to, I mean, maybe this is telling about where I am in my life and my (laughs) career, but to me, it feels more like a, a kind of a look at like work life balance and how your life can be destroyed by not kind of taking personal, like making everything about your work. Yeah, you know or not I mean? getting paid. Right, like he's never <laughs> getting paid. He keeps do, he keeps getting asked to do things his job that he's not really comfortable with, and they keep sort of pushing him to continue with it. And yeah, and how eventually that sort of changes him into being comfortable with the work in a being a different person essentially. Mm-hmm. And so in the end, where he's like dubbed in Italian or dub, dubbed over yeah. in English or whatever. Um, but yeah, it's still like I don't know. For like the first hour of this movie, it's all about like doing full. It's all about like. 70s Italian giallo horror movies and the Foley people doing crazy voices and witch sounds and screaming and stuff. All of that is like, could not be more up my alley and is super entertaining. Yeah. I think he does a really good job. Like all of his film, like the production design always looks amazing. Especially because these movies are made on the cheap too. And they look amazing. They're really like, they use color in the right way. And like, it looks authentic. Mm -hmm. Like everything that they use looks like it's from the seventies and plays up like seventies aesthetics. Yeah. Really awesome. I just wish the, the story is just so close. Like it just needs a little tweaking. Yeah. This one is like, if, if the last half hour went in a slightly different direction, it could be like a five star movie for me. Yeah. But as it is, it's a four for me. I did three and a half. Yeah. But I definitely love like the first half way more than the second half. Yeah. First half is incredible. Yeah. So I don't think it's streaming anywhere. Yeah. This is another one we another had to rent. Which rent. Is again, I think I've rented this movie <laughs> twice, so I need to just, just buy it, it. already. <laughs> Um, so next on Harper's birthday extravaganza. Oh boy. Oh boy. Godzilla versus Destoroya. Not Destroya. Destoroya. Yeah, Destoroya has an extra O for no reason. Um, so I want to hear you describe and then give your review first before I say anything. Uh, it's my last birthday present. Well, this came out in 1995. <laughs> and that's it. <laughs> Directed by Taiko Akawara. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a hard time differentiating what this one was. That's not true. You said you liked this one a lot. No, I do like this one a lot, but my review, all it says is long live baby Godzilla. Oh, no, that's not helpful. <laughs> so this one, it's like Godzilla is on the verge of well, a meltdown. Like correct. his core is too hot because of the previous film. They like nuked him or something. I don't know if it had anything to do with the last movie in particular, oh. but yeah, he's just, he's basically going yeah. into meltdown, which is something they've done in the recent movies again. And they think baby Godzilla is dead because they did like a bunch of missiles, like went off near the island, Godzilla Island or whatever. <laughs> and island. like, they haven't seen him since and their little telepathic people can't sense him. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the, uh, there's like this alien. Okay. It's like, Godzilla genes get shot out into space 
and it melts with some space Godzilla genes, and then like Destroya is you're, formed. You're sort of mixing <laughs> this one and the last one up. Really? I thought this was a space one. That space Godzilla was the last one, and that's where I know what space Godzilla but, I mean, is. That but was I thought the Godzilla this, DNA. I thought this, this one, guy came from space. No. This one, he came from the Oxygen Destroyer from the very first Godzilla from 1954. The, the invention that killed the original Godzilla, it, uh, it like created these little cre- like super dangerous alien creatures under the ocean. Oh, they came from under the ocean? Yeah, and when they, when they were building that building, they broke through the foundation and the water came in and that's where these little alien guys came from. I like my interpretation better. They started as little teeny tiny <laughs> aliens and then they grew up and then they're like like James Cameron alien aliens. Yeah, this whole movie was alien-esque. For sure. <laughs> it's really cool. They did it's yeah, there's a big section that's very much like, you know, Corporal Marines and aliens, like a horde, a swarm of these uh yeah. destroyer things. And then they form together to make one giant monster. Mm-hmm. What I said. Sure. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, the, I mean, the, the key thing was that is that this is the end of the second Godzilla era. So this is like the finale of this of the Heisei era. <laughs> um, and I think I thought it was great. This is like one of my favorite Godzilla movies now. Yeah, it was good. Um, like it t- it's taken a little more seriously. It doesn't feel quite as goofy as some of the other ones, although there are some that's a handful of little, especially the telepathic people. That stuff always seems a little hokey, although they played it really hardcore with the emotional stuff with this one with baby Godzilla licking it potentially um, or getting licked. I mean, um, but yeah, this one I like the other thing I really love about this one is it has tons of callbacks to previous Godzilla movies, not just like homages, but like ties that story all together. Like it's got st- a lot of stuff related to the very first Godzilla movie with the oxygen destroyer and stuff. Um, and a, and a whole bunch of characters from the last like four or five movies come come back for different things and uh yeah so there's a whole bunch of it really kind of feels like it's the culmination this is the avengers end game of godzilla <laughs> at least so, so far in the franchise 40 years in the making <laughs> um and yeah and the battles are really cool they feel super epic there's some really cool effects i can't remember there was one particular effect that i thought was really neat and i don't remember what it was now um yeah i don't know i think it was when godzilla actually melts down was really cool mm. Um, but I don't remember what it looked like now. Um, but yeah, I think this is this is a, a much cooler finale than the one in the Showa era, which yeah. ends really with kind of a whimper. This one I was like, oh my god, Godzilla's actually gonna like die. This I so far, I mean, I still have like six Godzilla movies left to watch in the franchise, but so far this is probably like number three or four for me. It's really yeah. good. Definitely my favorite of the Heisei movies. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Godzilla versus Destoroya. I have four stars. Me too. So I did like it, even if I don't remember yeah, you it. Big <laughs> um, how many more movies are in your extravaganza? At least two. Depends two on more? whether you count okay. the third one. Next up in Harper's birthday extravaganza. Oh, we're not talking about that other one because <laughs> it was part of our Valentine's thing. But anyway, mm-hmm. sorry. Go ahead. Um, we watched Talk to Her. Which is a 2002 Pedro Almodovar. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Almodovar. Correct. Almodovar. <laughs> Almodovar. Almodovar. <laughs> um, so, Almodovar, the room. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this movie is a weird one. 
Uh, it talks. <laughs> so the description is just two men share an odd friendship while they care for two women who are both in deep comas. So it's a little more uh, complicated than that. It's kind of like there's this long term nurse who cares for this uh, coma patient. And you find out that he had actually been stalking her most of her life. Mm. And now well, he's... Well, not most of her life, for like a few weeks before that she was went... it a week? I feel like yeah. it was longer not, than that. Not that. I mean, less than a year. That's a long time. Most of his life. Okay. <laughs> um, so he's been stalking her and then ends up becoming her, her nurse. And it's very, like, obsessive and weird. Like, he takes a lot of extra care into making sure she looks exactly the same and, like, bathing her, which is part of his job. Yeah. Well, but he just goes the extra mile. It's interesting because... Well, go, go ahead. Finish your thought. I'm sorry. And then the other man um, is dating a bullfighter. Yes. Um, who ends up getting gored by the bull and ends up in the coma. They end up in the same facility, so yeah. they kind of build this friendship, but then things get weirder after that. Well, yeah, I mean, the, the elephant in the room is that the nurse more than it's not really confirmed but more than likely raped it's pretty his, confirmed his <laughs> i mean they don't yeah, she ends don't up know. becoming pregnant yeah, somebody raped her and it was almost certainly him he does not deny it in the film yeah um <laughs> but yeah it's like yeah i don't know so i mean like all of almodovar's movies it's morally complicated yeah uh and it's very messy but it's like I don't know what I wrote is that it's wonderfully full of feeling like it's very emotional from all sides. Yeah. Um, to me, I thought this movie feels like it's supposed to be about compassion, like that you like that these characters have compassion for to people that have been unconscious for years. And then you potentially in the end, you know, the one guy has compassion for his friend who is probably a rapist. More than likely. Yeah. And then you, well, I guess, should we spoil the third part of this? Let's not triangle? spoil the very the okay. end of what, what happens in the very end. <clears throat> um, yeah. I mean, I, I really like this movie a lot. I, I saw yeah. it a long time ago. And I think it was the first time out of our movie I saw, or maybe right after Volver. I'm not sure. But I mean, this is a lot like his other stuff. Like Time Me Up, Time Me Down is pretty morally gray. Um, and so is, um, Volver's not quite so much. She murders a wife beater, so that's not quite so yeah. hard to t hard to take. Um, but yeah, you know, his I think his movies are always kind of complicated in that way. So you don't really know who you're allowed to like and not like. Well, that's what I found so difficult about this movie because I don't sympathize with the nurse at all. Yeah, and I don't think you have to. Cause like the way he's presented you, it seems like they're trying to make you feel bad for him, but then it's like, no dude, you impregnated this woman in a coma. Like, yeah, <laughs> I'm not going to feel bad for you if you're in prison now. No, he's definitely <laughs> a bad person. Yeah. And then the other guy, I really liked the, uh, the second character. He's very like complicated and like, he's also dealing with all of his emotions. Like he thinks it's silly to like talk to his girlfriend who is in a coma um, but then maybe that's like an issue bigger in their relationship that right. maybe he is fine with her being in a coma because <laughs> I don't know. That's also complicated. There's a lot of like uh, cheating and like different 
past partners coming back. Yeah. yeah. Well, and I like to, one thing I always love about our motivators movies is all, all the major players have like very rich backstories and rich yeah. inner lives. Like, you know, there's all this stuff, even, even the bullfighter who goes in the coma, she's, you know, she's only as a speaking role in the movie for like the first 20 or 30 minutes or whatever. Yeah. But you, there's a lot of like her backstory that comes into play and stuff. And mm-hmm. you know, the way they meet the whole thing with the snake in her house. And, um, so yeah, I've, I always, I always think that's really cool. I think his characters are always super interesting and rich. Yeah. But yeah, also there's the, the crazy silent movie part of this, which was one, was one of the main things I remembered. I, I won't, I won't spoil it, but it's this very explicit, very surreal, uh, silent movie that happens, a, a fictional silent movie that the characters go see yeah. in this movie. It's really, really interesting and strange. Um, but yeah, what'd you give it? Four stars. Four and a half for me. I really would like to dive into more Almodovar stuff. I feel like I've yeah. seen, I've, I've only really seen, I think three of his movies, maybe four, but, uh, I, re- I all of them, I really, really like, we really need to see all about my mother. That's his like most famous one. I agree. But yeah. Anyways. Um, was this one part of the extravaganza or is it yeah. over? No, the next one is the last one. I okay. Think. So the last birthday extravaganza is After Hours, which came out in 1985 and directed by Martin Scorsese. Um, so this movie is about nothing. <laughs> it follows Griffin Dunn, who is amazing and I love him. Um, uh, he meets, what's her name? Rosanna Arquette, like in a coffee shop. She gives him, uh, his, she gives him her number. Mm-hmm. Um, he ends up calling her when he gets back to his apartment and they like meet up for a midnight date. Um, but from there, things go crazy and weird and he cannot, for the life of him, get back home. Yeah. Like he's basically <laughs> stuck in Soho all night on this like weird odyssey where like yeah. slowly things just keep getting worse and worse for him. Like yeah. people die. And he uh, keeps trying different things. Like the subway fare went up. Like he doesn't have enough money. Like, <laughs> yeah, he loses his money. Eventually there's like a mob of people trying to attack him because they think he's yeah. a burglar because there are these other people that are robbing like Cheech and Chong are robbing people. And so, <laughs> yeah. um, there, yeah, there's like a German leather bar in which Martin Scorsese is like operating a spotlight <laughs> as a cameo. <laughs> You also get uh, Home Alone prequel, Catherine O'Hara and John Hurd. Yeah. Uh, the cast of this movie is amazing. <laughs> yeah, the cast is great. Yeah. Catherine O'Hara, John Hurd, um, Rosanna Arquette, uh, T. Chong, uh, Terry Garr. I love Terry Garr. Um, Will Patton. Yeah. There's a ton of great people in this. Um, yeah. The other amazing thing is it's a Scorsese film that's only 97 minutes. <laughs> yeah, true. You take, know how take rare that notes, is? <laughs> Scorsese. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, this is like one of my favorite Scorsese movies. And um, yeah, I've, it's one of those movies that on one level, I, it's kind of fun that like, I feel like not as, that many people talk about this movie and it's like my own little secret treasure. <laughs> but on the other hand, way more people ought to see this because it's so great. Yeah, it really is good. And I forgot how great it is because I feel like I haven't seen this in probably like 10 years. Yeah, it's been a while since I've seen it too. And then it was like, oh wait, it's the guy from American Werewolf like running around doing things. (laughs) It's just super over the top. It's like very, becomes very cartoonish as it goes. 
Yeah, it's very quirky. Like, also, what did this come out between for him? Like, I find. It, I yeah, it's funny. It I, I I pulled it up. Uh, you can put it here. You keep talking, and I'll find out for you. Um, I don't. It also, it all takes place at night, so I really like the like gritty New York at night stuff. Um, and then just like like you said, it's like the Odyssey. Yeah, just like him meeting all these random characters and. What's he going to do to get home? <laughs> so this is, uh, the previous two movies were Raging Bull and King of Comedy. Yeah, I could see this being closer to King of Comedy Definitely. than Raging Bull. I, I think King of Comedy is fantastic, but I do think After Hours is a funnier movie. Yeah. Personally. But um, yeah, I mean, this is top tier Scorsese, and it's one of my favorite comedies, period. There's also a lot of great lines, right? I'm trying to remember what some of them were. I'm sure we will have used one, at least one for the intro for this podcast, but I really like, there's a part when he's, things have gotten really bad. It's towards the end. And then he's hiding out from the mob and he sees somebody, uh, get murdered in a window across the street. Somebody gets shot and he's like, I'll probably get blamed for that too. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, and there's all the stuff like surrender Dorothy, that whole thing. And he was particularly yeah. obsessed with one movie. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, it's just all over the place. And the ending is just, is so silly. I can't remember. It was said in the trivia, something about the ending that like, um, that Scorsese couldn't figure out how to end the movie. And somebody, I'm trying to remember who it was. Some other famous director gave him the idea to end it the way it does where he ends yeah. up back in the office. This also has like a Brazil vibe. I could see that. Yeah. Especially with the, the ending, office especially, related yeah. the stuff. Ending feels very Brazil. Because he's, he's just an ordinary word processor. Whatever that means now. <laughs> yeah. What's a word processor? Does <laughs> he just use Microsoft word at work? Basically. That's his job. Well, like, the way the movie starts out, he's like training a new guy and the guy's like, boy, I would hate to be here for the work here for the rest of my life. Like, uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, even that guy was somebody. I can't remember his name now. Yeah, I don't remember who that was. Um, anyway, this film is amazing. Like, it's oh. hard to talk about. Like, you just have to go watch it. <laughs> so the ending uh, was, um, well, I don't know who gave him the ending, but he said that Scorsese asked Brian De Palma, Steven Spielberg, and Terry Gilliam to watch it and give their opinions on how it should end. Mm. So that's kind of interesting. <laughs> um, but yeah, anyways, great movie. I gave it four and a half stars. Me too. What did you give it? Four and a half. After yeah, this hours. is pretty high for my favorite Scorsese films. Agreed. It's probably like this, Cape Fear. Taxi Driver and King of Comedy? Yeah, and Departed. We'll just keep going. Yeah. We'll keep listing stuff. I mean, he's got at least four or five movies that are a four and a half or a five for and me. Goodfellas and Goodfellas. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. I like this better than Goodfellas, I'll be honest. Well, yeah, this is one of the better comedies comedy aspects yeah um anyway it's streaming on hbo max yeah so you have no excuse it's only 97 minutes yeah watch it right pause the podcast go just watch pause, it right just pause it everyone pause listening it. to this <laughs> mom would love yeah. after hours <laughs> um so i think that ends your birthday extravaganza right yeah it do it do it do uh, so next up, we have the Parallax View. Yeah, which we watched separately. Actually. Yeah, I had to do homework, and I forgot to go have fun and watch it with a friend. Yeah, so my good, like, my good buddy Mark uh, <laughs> had the projector set up in his backyard and had just gotten this new, the new Blu-ray, the new Criterion, and so invited me to come over and watch it, and it was great. 
So Parallax View came out in 1974. It was directed by Alan J. Pecula. Um this is a little complicated. It's a political thriller um, following Warren Beatty, who is a reporter investigating a senator's assassination. And one of his friends who witnessed the assassination, she comes to him and says, like, I'm really scared. I think someone's trying to kill me. And, and other then, people who witnessed yeah, it. And she's like, the other five witnesses have also mysteriously been killed. So he kind of goes like on this undercover thing to figure out what is going on and uncovers this like weird corporation that may or may not be hiring and training assassins. <laughs> yeah. It becomes more complicated than that, but that's the yeah. gist. Yeah. That's the simple route. <laughs> yeah. So it stars Warren Beatty, um, Hume Crone. I don't know. Mm. William Daniels. Lots of people. There's I don't somebody know. There's else no, in like, this that I recognize. I don't Bill McKinney who. sounds familiar. Mm, Stacy Keach. Uh, yeah, I don't remember now who else it's, I recognize. Well, but anyways, there's not a lot of main characters. It's mainly Warren Beatty and his editor. Yeah, and he kind of goes through a bunch of different people. Yeah. So I'm gonna let you handle this one because okay. I don't remember much. All right. <laughs> other than it looked amazing. <laughs> well, yeah, cinematography is super cool. Um, the I love. I thought the dialogue is super duper sharp. There's some really funny lines in this. I love William, uh, William, wait, Warren, Warren, baby, <laughs> uh, has some great, is his like smart ass lines. <laughs> like, oh, and there's one, one of my favorite lines is, uh, they're at the bar and this, the bartender's girl is like, she said, you know what they say about martinis, right? <laughs> the martinis are like a woman's breast. One is not enough, but three is too many. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, there was another, I'm trying to remember, there was another Warren Beatty line that he was super like smart ass that I thought was really funny. But, um, well, what was the wiener thing? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. To, uh, <laughs> you can be a, a weenie flasher. It was funnier than that. It was like a, a weenie wagger. Weenie wagger. Weenie yeah. Wagger. Yeah. Cause he has to go undercover. He needs like a uh, record. Criminal back story. So, yeah. He yeah. was a weenie wagger. That's what he, <laughs> he put in his criminal record. Um, the movie has brutal editing, like, yeah. which I, I mean, I don't know how to describe it without giving it away, but like, you'll see somebody and then cut, they're dead. dead. Uh, <laughs> it's very, yeah. Like there, there are several cuts in this movie that will like kind of make your jaw drop because they're very shocking. Um, yeah. The cinematography is really cool. I like, there's a lot of like geometric stuff in the movie. Like there's all like the pair, the way where the parallax corporation is, is this really kind of eighties looking, grid weird uh thing yeah there's a bunch of like grids and stuff in the movie yeah and i really appreciate a grid the yeah. grid system is not to be messed pretty with. pretty cool <laughs> but i also really liked that uh, it reminded me of the conversation and that the whole movie is basically about reframing what you think happened in the opening scene of the movie yeah like that by the end the opening scene has a totally different meaning than the first time you see also, it. also the opening is crazy it takes place it in is the crazy. space it's needle really and like uh, at least one person falls off the space it needle. It looks very <laughs> real and dangerous. They were definitely on the space needle running around. Yeah, I'm not sure how they pulled that off because it looks, it's very, yeah, there's, I put, a lot of the stunts are very nerve jangling. Yeah. The whole thing where the, he's getting flooded by the dam too is like, that looks super dangerous. That was dangerous. definitely real too. <laughs> really dangerous looking. I don't know what, and they were just like, just go for it. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll get you out before the dam floods. <laughs> this, yeah, this movie's great. I, I put this probably the top of my of the like paranoid political thriller 
genre. Like I like yeah. I like this a lot better than all the President's Men. And this is definitely more interesting than that. Yeah, it's really cool. It has more action. Although I do think I remember. Maybe I wasn't paying close enough attention that I should have. So I feel like some parts were a little, I was like, wait, what happened? Well, the last like 20 minutes where they're in the like rehearsal for that guy's speech. That was awesome scene. It's well, it is, but it's also very slow and a little confusing because you don't, you're kind of not understanding what's happening until it suddenly happens. And then it's very intense. Um, Yeah. It's pretty cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I thought this was great. I gave it four stars. I gave it four and a half. So Parallax View is streaming on Prime. Yeah, it just came out on Criterion. So it probably is on the Criterion channel too, maybe. Yeah, probably. Maybe. But yeah, it just came out on on disc for the first time, a Blu-ray, I think. Uh, So next up, we watch Judas and the Black Messiah, which is a 2021 film directed by Shaka King. Um, And so this stars Lakeith Stanfield, Daniel Kalua, Jesse Plemons, Dominique Fishback. Mm, not recognizing any other main people. Did oh, you, who is the guy? Did you say Jesse Plemons? Yeah. Oh, I didn't hear you say that. Sorry. Um, the kid from Moonlight. Oh, right. What is I, his name? He's too far down. Oh, it's Martin Sheen. He's Jagger. Oh, right. That was kind of weird. Yeah. Anyway, um, the story, it follows the story of Fred Hampton, um, who was the deputy chairman of the National Black Panther Party, who was assassinated in 1969 um, by a tactical unit on the orders of the FBI. Well, it doesn't say the other character, uh, but it follows Bill O'Neill's story about how he was sort of hired by the FBI undercover to infiltrate the Black Panther Party and basically has a hand in him become, uh, getting assassinated. Spoilers for real life history. Uh, well, Ashton, it says he gets know, assassinated. Uh, Ashton Sanders <laughs> is the guy that was also oh, in Moonlight. Okay. He was teen Chiron. Yeah. So Lakeith Stanfield plays Bill O'Neill and Daniel Kalua plays Fred Hampton. Right. And go. Well, you keep making <laughs> me do all the reviews. You, you talk for a sec first. You well, first. this one, it's kind of hard because this has like some really good moments. The problem is it feels like a lot of great moments pieced together with little plot. So it follows it follows both characters a little too equally. And so you end up getting less of like the background or the emotional or mental state that they're going through. So it kind of becomes more of like a Fred Hampton biopic, which would be fine on like its own. But the whole movie was based around the O'Neill story, mm-hmm. which I feel like you never get to tap into what he was thinking, his thoughts and feelings. hundred percent agree. So it's like you kind of get the little less of both worlds. I totally agree. Yeah. It said in the trivia that the director quote, wanted to create a Trojan horse, Fred Hampton biopic. Sorry. I always say that biopic. But like, why not um, just make a real horse? Agreed. Fred Hampton. <laughs> well, and here's the thing is like, the problem is that I don't think you could make a movie about the two of these men. Yeah. And to me, I, you said the problem is that they gave equal time to both. And I think it's the opposite problem that they don't give nearly enough focus on O'Neill. Yeah. They um, do kind of cut back on him a well, lot. Yeah. I mean, you get his, in, his intro is great. Yeah. Where he's, he like he has a scam where he pretends to be an FBI agent and like pretends to be hauling somebody away for stealing a car and then he steals that car. Yeah, um, and that's how he gets picked up and flipped. But um, I think 
you never know where he's actually stands, which could be interesting, but it's not like you just, instead you feel like I I don't really know who I'm supposed to be caring about. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I mean, I, I respect that maybe they're trying to stick to the truth because I mean, based on the stuff they show right before the credits, it does seem like nobody really knows where he, how he felt about it. Yeah. Um, That's what also I said is like, we're probably just used to like, the drama that gets added into stuff. And I appreciate them sticking to the facts, but also like the whole ending credit scene, it was just too much. Like, and then this happened and then this happened. It is like five minutes of like, like, here's what happened. Like, why couldn't you put any of this in the movie? Yeah, I agree with that. I totally agree with that. It was like, if you know what happened, put that in. I don't know. Like they could have shown what happens to the, Bill O'Neill's character. Yeah, I kind of agree. And that probably would have been a little more interesting. <sighs> yeah. I mean, I don't know, because you could say the same thing about like uh Black Klansman. Like one of the best parts of that movie is when they connect it with real world Yeah, but that's not like a history lesson. Yeah, it's like that's fair. You piece it together. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, it was like there was a there's a point um near the end when like Jesse Plemons, the like FBI handler guy points out he's like i saw you at that meeting and you seemed like you were really into Into it it, yeah and it's like that's the most we get of some of any kind of like internal life for bill o'neill is that somebody else says you look like you were really into it (laughs) you know what i mean like you never really get a sense of whether he's into it or just playing the role or or what Mm -hmm. or somewhere in between it's really unclear and that makes the movie a lot harder to really get into yeah um, but it's well, I mean, narratively, I think is where the problems are. I think the movie's really well made. Yeah, everything else Craft is Craft wise great. is great. But yeah, I think. And even like. And the performances yeah, are really good. They're really, both really good. good on their own. Um, also, we get sort of a get out reunion. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because you have Lakeith Stanville, Daniel Kalua, and then who who was the other guy The from oh, Get there's Out? Somebody else? Yeah, he plays like the pimp in this undercover pimp. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to remember. I don't remember now. He's the TSA agent. Oh, right, right. I can't remember yeah. his name now. R- Rob in Get Out. Yeah, I can't remember the actor's name. I was like, I forgot uh, he was. Yeah, he didn't. He yeah. didn't look familiar. I mean, he no. didn't look similar. But yeah, um, yeah. So this is like could have been really great. Instead, it's just kind of it's it's good. I mean, to me, this is clearly this. It's an Oscar. Um, acting wise it's definitely that's what this movie is really is Mm -hmm. for that i mean the two performances are really good and it'd be i mean yeah but watch jesse plumman's get nominated nobody (laughs) else (laughs) or martin sheen like you're really good as j edgar hoover (laughs) yeah that's that's funny um yeah i mean this is an early in the year movie so it's hard to tell whether anybody will remember it enough at the end but this seems like a front so far for 2021 this is obviously the front runner for actor nominations yeah and it's not it's hard because it makes it seem like we didn't like it but like i gave it three and a half it was like here's the thing is like i was enjoying it while we were watching it but when it ended i was like oh yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah i didn't feel like i got much out of it at the end i feel like i was always waiting for the something to click and it didn't really yeah so it's streaming on hbo max i gave it three and a half stars what'd you give it uh i think i did the same yeah so I think it's worth seeing. Yeah, no, definitely. Especially if you don't know anything about Fred Hampton and the Black Panther Party. Agreed. Yeah. No, that, I mean, all the historical stuff is super interesting and the yeah. per- performances are great. Just got some script issues. Um. So next up, I feel like we've talked about this film before. 
on our podcast, but it's Tammy and the T-Rex. Or is it Tanny? Tanny. And the Tyrannosaurus Rex. <laughs> <laughs> so this came out in 1994. It's directed by Stuart Raphael. Raphael? Basically, uh, Paul Walker has his brain put into an animatronic T-Rex mm-hmm. and his girlfriend, Denise Richards... Is trying to get his brain out of the T-Rex into a human body. I mean, it's a tale as old as time. <laughs> yeah. Let's, I mean, let's get this real. happened in high school, I think, to that girl, right? <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, we talked about this. We saw this on my birthday last year. Or yeah. Year, yeah, last year. So we watched this a part of the Joe Bob uh, yeah. Valentine's special. So it's a romance. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't have a whole lot to add to since the last <laughs> really? time we watched it. Except, yeah. I mean, it's a lot of fun. I still really, even, it was interesting because the first time we saw it was in a theater with lots of people. So that was a lot of fun in mm-hmm. that aspect. And then this time we got it with Joe Bob's commentary. So you learned some of the crazy behind the scenes Well, yeah, stuff. let's talk about that then instead. Yeah. So well, the Tammy and the Tanny part... <laughs> In the movie, the movie is called Tammy and the T-Rex. And her name is obviously Tammy because that's a real name. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But they call her Tanny with two N's in the movie. Do they? Yeah. I know in the the opening title of the movie (laughs) says Tanny. Which is definitely wrong. (laughs) Yeah, it's really weird. Anyway, there was like they had to ship it to like Mexico to get something the credit or the poster made and they flopped the there was something about like the producer was like Venezuelan or somewhere South America, South or Central America. I don't remember where. And basically he just had access to an animatronic yeah. dinosaur. He's like, I got two weeks. To like, yeah, I got to put this in a museum. <laughs> this museum ordered this, but if you want to make a movie, I can let you use it for two weeks. And so basically I <laughs> came up with this movie and shot it like, which that's where this movie is super impressive because considering it was just sort of sl- thrown together slapdash, it looks yeah. really good. I mean, it's not like, you know, it looks Criterion. like a TV movie. No, but I mean, it's, it's not, um, Look, we've seen lots of Vinegar Syndrome movies that are a thousand times less watchable than this, yeah. is what I mean. Like, this movie is comp- very competently made. And mm-hmm. I mean, it's goofy as hell, but it's, uh, you know, it's not like it understands how you make a movie. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what's your favorite scene? Um, I don't know. Maybe the dino charades. <laughs> <laughs> that's really good yeah when he's trying to explain that it's he's like i am uh, paul walker rain rhymes with rain yeah what's his name uh i can't remember the character's his name's name michael yeah. uh michael's brain michael's brain, brain. um <laughs> My favorite is when the T-Rex makes a phone call and then oh, with a payphone and then his little T-Rex hand checks for a coin in yeah. the, in the little so slot. Bizarre. <laughs> you also got that so weird funny. children of the corn dude in this. All the He's stuff with so the, over the top. All the stuff with the mad scientist is the best. It's so funny. It's so dumb. He's so weird. <laughs> uh, I don't remember any weird trivia. Yeah, I'm trying to remember now. Well, th- I guess the main part is that this movie was edited to not be a horror oh, movie. Right. And so this is pieced back together with all the horror elements. Which is hard <laughs> to imagine because that's really like, what... what's left? What do you... T- like? Yeah, that's really what makes this movie stick together is the scenes in the T-Rex. Yeah. Like, murders people. It's great. <laughs> but yeah, movie's very funny. Very, very yeah. silly. Two and a half stars. It's on Shudder. Three and a half. All right. Well, three and a half for enjoyability, but... Two and what a half for there? actual quality. Uh, yeah. <laughs> if you enjoy it, it is high quality. That's my motto. Not according to Letterbox. 
All right. So what was the other Joe Bob movie? Uh, so the second of the double feature was The Love Witch, which came out in 2016. It was directed by Anna Biller. The Love Witch. Uh, so this follows a young witch who's determined to find love. Um, and Love. Yeah, just love. Uh, like, what's her name? Sex in the City. <laughs> it's Sex in the City, but with witches. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Uh, I don't know. What else is there to describe? <laughs> I don't know. Well, the style of the movie, obviously. Is the it's like thing. 70s Technicolor. But yeah, it, shot on 35. Yeah. Uh, so it's super duper colorful. Production design is like meticulous. And apparently Anna Biller did like, uh, like, I don't know if she made the costumes. I know she did all like a lot of the painting. She even wrote some of the music. She made the carpet. Yeah, the movie is like... <laughs> Uh, this is about as auteur as you can get. Like the director had like a hundred percent control and they took a really long time to make the movie to do it just right. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I've seen this movie a couple of times. And I really love it. I think it's super interesting. I ended up liking it more the second time. I wasn't that crazy about it the first watch. Yeah. Well, do but you hearing think, her talk about it made yeah. me like it more. Yeah. I mean, t- tell, what do you remember about what she said about the movie? Some uh, interesting nothing. stuff. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, I remember one of the things well, I think I've heard her say before is that you, this movie is not a movie. It's not like a feminist movie, but it's a movie about like you get tons of movies about the male gaze and a, a male fantasy. This is like a female fantasy movie. Yeah. Like she's, you know, it's a, from a female perspective. Um, and, uh, yeah, just, I mean, it's super interesting to me that the movie is super like caricatured and strange and over the top. But it's also very, very, very thought out. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like that the basically the whole thing is she's like looking for like a sp- strong man, and when she like gives them everything they want, they all turn to like sad sack yeah. losers. <laughs> <laughs> they all either become obsessed with her, and they're like, you know, like, suicidally, you. yeah, suicidally <laughs> obsessed, or like the one guy, the like college professor guy. Who just becomes like a crying baby constantly. <laughs> like he's Don't just like a me. woman. <laughs> crying like a woman. I like the joke where she's making this spell with a, a tampon and she's like, most men have never seen a used tampon. <laughs> right. And then later the detectives find it and they're like, what is this? Yeah, what the hell is that? <laughs> <laughs> it is great. Um, yeah, I think this movie's super interesting. I mean, uh, both of her movies are really interesting. Um, and yeah. I, I wish she'd be able to put out more stuff more frequently. I don't know if it was because of COVID or, I mean, I think she works pretty slowly in general, but uh, yeah. Yeah. Cause she, her next movie is blue beard. You know, she's been, she announced that like three years ago. It says 2023. So she's got two go. years to finish it. Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. I highly recommend following Anna Biller on Twitter too. Cause she's, she's a, this is, this is partially why the episode was so interesting too. Cause she is about, she is as as much of a film scholar and historian as Joe Bob is. And it, yeah. And super duper knowledgeable about classic movies. Um, and, and and maybe some stuff that most folks, I mean, certainly I am not as familiar with a lot of the stuff that she talks about. So it's always it's always interesting and always gets me to add new stuff to my watch list. Mm-hmm. So yeah. The Love Witch. On um, actually it's on Prime and Shudder. Yeah. I, yeah, if you've never seen The Love Witch, it's definitely worth a watch. It's There's nothing quite like Anna Biller's movies. Yeah. I think the next one was all you. I yep. didn't watch it. Uh, Altered States from 1980, uh, directed by Ken Russell. Um, 
So this is a movie, a research scientist explores the boundaries and frontiers of consciousness. Using sensory deprivation and hallucinogenic mixtures from Native American shamans, he explores altered states of consciousness and finds that memory, time, and perhaps reality reality itself are states of mind. Starring William Hurt, Blair Brown, and Bob Balaban. Dude, Bob Balaban is like, you know who Bob Balaban is, right? I don't know. He's um no if I saw a picture in Se- uh, is it Seinfeld or yeah Seinfeld he's um Elaine one of Elaine's bosses he's the bald guy and then he gets like sent to he goes to like Greenpeace and falls off the boat or whatever yeah <laughs> he's in like Lady in the Water anyways all every role I've ever seen him in he's like the bald older guy and he's very like quiet and reserved and nerdy in this he's like a hippie scientist he's got like a big old beard and let me just say in this movie Bob Balaban F U C K I mean, he doesn't literally, but he just, you know, yeah, he's a cool looking dude, which is very funny to see. But anyways, he looks way different. That has nothing to do with really the movie. Um, I remember seeing a clip from this when I was in college and thinking like, this movie looks insane. I need to see it. And it's taken me like 15 years to get around to it. Yeah. It's been on my list forever because the poster always looks so cool. The movie is really cool. Uh, it's basically like he go he gets these crazy drugs and and com- combining that with these uh this really intense um uh sensory deprivation thing he not only is like experiencing weird states of consciousness he like physically starts to change into like early man and so he turns into this like crazy monkey man and runs oh. around oh Sounds but there, like were, another movie. there were pieces of trivia <laughs> that in this movie uh, William Hurt and Blair Brown, the two leads, are both naked more than 50% of the time in this movie. So you're saying there's a lot of nudity. <laughs> there's a lot of nudity. I mean, there's not a lot of, like, genitalia. Do we get male frontal nudity? It, oh, yeah. Lots. Yes. But in this, in most of the time, he's like a monkey man, so he's real hairy, so you don't really see a whole oh, lot. Oh, man. But there's definitely male nudity, a lot of it. Um, Show but, me the weenie wagger. <laughs> <laughs> but the editing and the visual effects and the sound design during these sequences when he's like traveling into crazy states of consciousness are into really altered really, states. Yeah. Are super <laughs> cool and impressive and I can't really compare them to anything else. I think we need to at least say the title of the movie in all our reviews once. Altered states. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um also, oh, I really like the opening credit sequence too. It's the way the letters for the title come in are really cool looking. Um, I appreciate good opening credits. Yeah, but yeah, I really enjoy this. I think you would like it a lot too, actually. Um, I think it's very cool. Uh, I give it four stars. That's Altered States, nineteen eighty. It, it is not streaming anywhere. This is one I, I borrowed from Mark when I went over oh, his house. I need to borrow it from Mark. <laughs> well, we still have it. So, Mark, let me borrow your movies. <laughs> So next up, we watched The Silent Partner. (laughs) I don't know why I sang it. Mm -hmm. Um, It came out in 1978 and directed by Daryl Duke. So, okay. I know why we watched this. It stars Christopher Plummer, who recently passed away. Um, But anyway, it... uh, What is Elliot Gould? (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) I'm like... Uh, okay happening i don't know (laughs) cookie threw me off um 
So it stars Elliot Gould, who is a Canadian banker. Uh, <laughs> well, the whole movie's Canadian. Oh, yeah. So everybody is a Canadian. You should say Canadian before everybody's description. <laughs> okay. So he's a Canadian banker who, a few days before Christmas, a Canadian Santa Claus tries to rob their Canadian bank. Correct. Um, <laughs> but doesn't get away with it because Elliot Gould is on to him before he tries to rob him and he actually robs the money for himself. Um, So this Canadian Santa Claus turns out to be Christopher Plummer, who is a really bad Canadian man. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. Um, He wears a mesh tank top. And oh, he beats hookers to death. <laughs> I don't know if she was a hooker. She was like a teenager um, and not to death. He's a bad dude. Yeah. So anyway, he ends up going to prison. So Elliot Gould thinks he's in the clear. But then this mysterious woman enters his life who actually is like hired by Christopher Plummer's Canadian Santa Claus dude um, to figure out where the money is. And then eventually Christopher Plummer also gets out of prison and is hunting Elliot Gould to figure out where the money is. Yeah. Basically, everybody's trying to get this money from this bank robbery, yeah. And it's the, and it's the like uh, mild mannered bank teller versus the like hardcore violent criminal guy, and and Canadian criminal. Yeah, don't forget the Canadian part. <laughs> um, yeah. The only minor problem I have with this movie is that you definitely could view this as like an incel gets the girl kind of story, <laughs> because mm-hmm. he's. Basically, it starts where, like, his coworker like, doesn't really care that much about it. She kind of dismisses him as, like... Played by Susanna York, who just keeps popping right. up in all the movies we watch. Uh, dismisses him as kind of, like, the goober guy. He, like, collects fish, and uh, he's kind of mild, yeah. you know, quiet. Well, he is a goober. Yeah, but slowly over the course <laughs> of this, goober. he becomes, like, this super... What? <laughs> A goober who F U C K Canadian style. <laughs> yeah, slowly he becomes like this badass hardened guy because he kind of has to to survive against Christopher yeah. Plummer's like attacks, basically. And they're both like super smart, so they're each trying to outsmart one yeah, another. Yeah, it's a very cat and mouse kind of thing. Cat and cat, maybe. Cat, cat, cat versus cat. Um, I Christopher Plummer's super badass in this. I love him. He's very scary. He is. Do you remember that one scene when he pops up, he opens the door and he's like, hey. (laughs) (laughs) And you thought it was really funny. It was. He just got out of prison and he like confronts his kind of (laughs) girlfriend. And it's so dramatic. Like the door opens so slowly. Sliding door. And then it's not anything. It's just, hey. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I also love that it's got all these like, bond style puns but they're played they they play them super straight so like you could totally miss them if you weren't really yeah. paying attention <laughs> i don't I, the, the one the example i want to give i would give away a major plot point so i don't want to give it away but um yeah it's like a bond movie that's played i mean it's not really a bond movie but stylistically it's got kind of that feel a little bit yeah um, I was not prepared for how much I was going to enjoy this film. Yeah, Cause it, it sounds really goofy. Like Christopher Plummer is a Santa Claus mall, like dude who this robs is, a bank. Is this the only movie we've ever seen Christopher Plummer where he's like a bad guy? Mm, he's kind of bad in, um, inside man. Oh yeah. I was forget about that. But, but here he's like a violent probably like, not. gangster criminal guy. Yeah. Which is, Maybe against type Quit for him. burping. Sorry. Yeah, all, this, all the burping. Oh. The Killed them all, of here. course. <laughs> the <jinx. laughs> um, 
but also, yeah, Christopher Plummer in a mesh tank top. Yeah, I mean, what more do you have to say? That's and like what, eyeliner too. He definitely has eyeliner. It's like the whole review you need right yeah. there. <laughs> um, but anyway, the <clears throat> the only part I'm kind of weird, not weird, but like iffy about is Susanna York's character because she kind of just goes from like man to man, and I don't know anything about her. She's just the prize. Yeah. It's like, yeah. This is definitely a male point of view sort of movie for yeah. sure. There's very little it's pretty sexist, given. too. Yeah, it kind of is. <laughs> I, I wouldn't disagree with that. Well, that's the 70s, babe. I suppose. But yeah, from, from the perspective of just being a crime thriller, this is super solid. It's stylish and very cool. Yeah, and you don't know where it's going to go. There's a lot of yeah. twists and turns, maybe some murderings, maybe not. <laughs> yeah, I, mean, it's, I guess it's a little bit like Three Days of the Condor in that it's like the straight man, the guy who's not really a violent field agent guy is forced to become that guy. Yeah. So that's kind of interesting always. Yeah. I thought this was great. It was a lot of fun. Agreed. Not bad for a Canadian movie. Yeah. I gave it four <laughs> Canadian stars. Me too. Four, uh, four maple leaves. Aw. <laughs> and it's streaming on Criterion. Yeah. So next up, we watched The Edge which came out in 1997. It's directed by Lee Tamahori, which I feel like we did see something else by them. Uh, oh, Along Came a Spider. spider. Yeah. And that's it. <laughs> um, so this stars Alec Baldwin, Anthony Hopkins. <coughs> Sir. Sir Anthony Hopkins. Anthony Hopkins. Ellie McPherson. Um, it's not Ellie. Pretty sure it's L. Uh, L.Q. Jones, Harold... Paranu? What if I just correct every name you say? That would be, <laughs> That'd be a cool. That'd be a great podcast. <laughs> what a great listening experience yeah. for everyone. But I know I, I mispronounce everybody's name. Um, anyway, so this is a survivalist movie where Anthony Hopkins and Alec Baldwin. Um, who's the other guy? Harold is it Harold? Yeah, yeah, the guy from Lost. He. Uh, they are in the Alaskan like wilderness. They rent a log cabin for like he's Anthony Hopkins is a millionaire. They rent a cabin to celebrate his birthday and do this photo shoot. Alec Baldwin is the photographer. They decide that they need to get this authentic Alaskan man for their photo shoot. Um, I don't know why or yeah, what they're selling. Weird. That <laughs> part's kind of weird. L. McPherson just will not do. Um, so, <laughs> I mean, rightly so. Yeah. Like who wants to see her? Um, and so In they like native American garb. Yeah. <laughs> it's very, very questionable. Very 90s. Um, so they get in this tiny small plane and go to try to find this guy. But when they are, they're trying to find him and then end up hitting a flock of birds crashing their airplane into the Alaskan wilderness where there is a man, hungry bear, a man eater, man eater trying to track them down and eat them all. Uh, yeah. And also there's this weird paranoia aspect where Anthony Hopkins thinks Alec Baldwin is having an affair with his wife, Elle McPherson. Yeah. So he already is on edge, the edge, because he thinks Alec Baldwin is out to kill him. Right. So he can take his money and Like his right wife. before the plane crashes, yeah. he's like, uh, so how are you going to kill me? Yeah. <laughs> or something like, like you can't, you can't quite tell if he's joking or not. Mm -hmm. uh, it's worth mentioning too, this is written by David Mamet, who wrote like, uh, Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, and The Untouchables, and Ronan, and Hannibal, and a whole bunch. Wag the Dog. Lots of like big classic movies. 
And you can tell this is like based on a book, right? Because yeah. there's so many like little things you're like, oh, that's going to come back to play later. This is going to come back. I later really appreciated on. <laughs> that part of it. To me, that's part yeah. of what makes it a really good thriller is that, yeah, like everything that happens in the movie is set up in the first like 10 minutes. Yeah. Like they the mentioned wa- avoid birds. Yeah. yeah. They <laughs> mentioned the plane. You got to watch out for birds when you're flying these small planes. Yeah. They're like he gets a knife for his birthday present which comes into yeah. play. They're like, uh, if the, a bear eats a man, then they have to kill it or he'll constantly right. be hunting There's a lot of men. stuff about bears in the beginning. <laughs> There's a, uh, the watch, like all this stuff that, co- that becomes really important later yeah. is narratively hinted at in the beginning, which I think is really nice. I think that's kind of cool. It's like a little puzzle. <laughs> uh, so you can like kind of get a sense of what's going to happen, but yeah. Um, I think, uh, Alec Baldwin's a little over the top for me in this. Um, yeah. as like semi villain slash friend. Um, but I will say, uh, I think my favorite part of this movie, this, well, two, my two favorite things, the bear, all the stuff with the bear is awesome. Yeah. They use a real like grizzly bear or something and it is terrifying. <laughs> it seems 100% real and 100% life threateningly dangerous. Yeah. There's definitely an extra who's dressed like Anthony Hopkins <laughs> running around <laughs> being chased by this giant ass bear. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's not Anthony Hopkins clearly, but somebody was in real yeah. serious danger. It looks very, and there's real. a lot it of close ups where they're like poking the bear and stuff. <laughs> yeah. It feels really dangerous, which is exciting. Yeah. Uh, the other thing I really liked with this movie is when Anthony Hopkins says, I'm going to kill the mother. F-U-C-K. <laughs> About the bear. Yeah. Uh, I'm trying. What else? What else? What else? I'm trying to think of what else. Mm. <laughs> I guess we won't spoil it. Yeah. I don't want to give away what happens in the last like third of the movie, but, but I do appreciate po- bear attack that Anthony Hopkins and Alec Baldwin have to like, use natural elements to stay warm so like they look like crazy people by the end of their journey <laughs> yeah they do they look very crazy how long do they stay like it has to be, it's supposed a, to be like a week, a week. yeah Something they like really that. go like tribal for, <laughs> for just a week but yeah they're also like cold. trying to i like the scene where they're like trying to get food and they like have that squirrel trap and they're like best buddies and like yeah we yeah. trapped this girl <laughs> yeah, it's true. BFS forever. Yeah. Um, but this I ended is, up enjoying it. I did too. This is a movie I had never heard of. This is another one Mark uh lent lent me and recommended. This should just be the Mark episode. Yeah. <laughs> um yeah, I mean this is a really solid thriller. I thought it was really fun. Yeah, I gave it three and a half stars. I gave it four. That's just it's edge. a little two nineties uh, to get yeah, a it's four. Pretty, it's <laughs> it's a little two nineties, but also not quite nineties enough to be yeah. a Michelle nineties. It's not it's not, it's a, not a Dante's Kiss peak. the girls or Dante's <laughs> Peak. Yeah. Nothing is a Dante's Peak. <laughs> yeah, that's the edge nineteen ninety seven. Oh, is it streaming anywhere? I don't no. think so. Yeah. Sorry, suckers. <laughs> So we, our next movie is Beginners. Absolute Beginners. Which they don't use this song in it. Um, It came out in 2010 and is directed by Mike Mills. This was another Christopher Plummer movie that we decided to watch um, because we always heard it was good and it had, it's about love. So it was like on Valentine's Day or around Valentine's Day. If there's a sure way to get us to finally get off our asses and watch a movie on our watch list, it's by dying. Yeah. (laughs) It's by somebody dying. (laughs) That's heartbreaking it's true though right (laughs) yeah so beginners (laughs) follows um ewan mcgregor and his father christopher Plummer, 
It follows their kind of journey to find love. So Christopher Plummer is married to um, a woman for like, what, 50 years, 44 years, very exact amount. Um, And then after she passes away, he comes out of the closet at age 75 to try and live his like fully energized gay life that the way he's always wanted to be. Yeah. And then Ewan, Ewan McGregor uh, is kind of the opposite. He's like afraid to love and be in a relationship. He kind of sabotages his relationships whenever he gets the chance because he doesn't want to end up like his parents because he's watched them his whole life and seen that they weren't happy. They didn't really love each other for very obvious reasons. Yeah. I was like, he's gay. Like, yeah. Um, so it kind of follows Christopher Plummer getting sick, passing away, and then Yeah, the movie starts with him. Yeah, dying, it's not a spoiler because like I just the whole setup of this movie is way different from what I thought it Agreed. was gonna be like. And so Ewan is like he meets Melanie Laurent, um, yeah. and trying to figure out if this is like the person he wants to be with or not. I was like I'd never seen a trailer for this, but just based on knowing vaguely what it was about, I always assumed that uh, uh, Christopher Plummer was coming out and his son was also gay and was going to have to like teach him the ropes of how to be a gay man. And it was <laughs> that like, sounds more like a rom-com. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly what I, I thought it was yeah. going to be much more of a comedy. And this movie is not a it's comedy. It's not. It's not even a, a little funny. It's a little more like <laughs> philosophical, like life, who am I? <laughs> yeah, it's very like... Uh, what is love? <laughs> examining, Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's definitely different from what I thought. I thought it was also just going to focus on Christopher Plummer. I thought it was Christopher Plummer trying to like finally be gay and in this like 2000 era, like be a gay man. Right. But I thought his son would have an issue with it or like have an issue with him dating like a you younger have you man. And McGregor playing a bad dude though. Not like a, not like Ever. a huge issue. Like he hates his father, but just like, Oh, this is so different from how I saw you growing up. <laughs> like, yeah. Like an adjustment thing, I guess. Yeah. But then he would like teach you and to like, uh, accept him. <laughs> this, um, reminded, sorry, this reminded me a lot of narratively. It reminded me of wild and that it's like all about somebody's current present struggles that relate yeah. back to the death of their parent. So in that yeah. way, it's very similar structurally. Yeah, structurally, it's it jumps a lot between mm-hmm. like past and present and flashbacks and stuff. Um, I thought the style was pretty interesting, where they he uses like stock photos and voiceover, and like this is what 1967 looked like. This is what pets looked like. This is what yeah. love looked like. I think that's kind of like his signature, though, because in 20th Century Women, he does the same thing. Yeah, I need to see that. But I don't. I haven't seen any of his other films, so I don't know. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I think it said this was semi autobiographical in that the this similar thing happened with his father. Mm. Came out um, after his mom died, I think. I did think it was. It did have some funny moments, though. I really liked the weird stuff with the family dog, and like he's constantly talking oh, the to dog the dog, cute. and the dog like has its own captions has to talk back. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I like that stuff. Um. Uh, my only problem with it, I guess, is that I wish that the story would have leaned a little bit more on Christopher Plummer, like we both kind of thought it would, I guess, yeah. um, and less on Ewan McGregor's character, because like, Ewan McGregor's character is not nearly as interesting to me, because he's just kind of like most people our age yeah, in modern time. Yeah, it feels like. Um, whereas Christopher Plummer's story, like, that's a very unique story, 
you know, mm-hmm. coming coming out at, at, as a senior and figuring out how to navigate that like that, I, I would have been a little bit more interested to see. Um, but obviously, the comparison between the two is kind of more of the point. And I did I did really like how you kind of slowly sort of learn all the things that he inherited from both of his parents. Yeah, like some of the weird stuff that his both of his parents like is like. Christopher Plummer always is like, uh, hello, house. Hello, how? Yeah. Like he talks to inanimate objects and you and McGregor's like character do does that, that too. <laughs> um, and then like some of the quirky, like little games his mom always played, like he kind of does that stuff too. Yeah. Um, so I thought that was kind of interesting, but mm-hmm. it is like, yeah, I was less interested in a movie about, about like a meet cute, about two white LA people <laughs> than I was about the elderly recently out gay man. Yeah. <laughs> Agreed. Um, so I think it's worth seeing. Yeah, and it was a good movie. But it's just not, I guess it's not the type of movie we watch that often. We don't do a lot of serious dramas, like, with romantic aspects. Yeah, I suppose <laughs> that's true. Uh, I gave it three and a half stars. I did too. It's streaming on HBO. Max. Max. Uh, so next up, it's time to relax. Don't do that. <laughs> Body Double, which came out in 1984, directed by Brian De Palma. Okay, how do I describe this movie? Oh, man. Good luck. This <laughs> I all don't you. know. I'll just read the description, and hopefully that will cover I guarantee it. this description will not even remotely yeah. cover it. But go ahead. <laughs> uh, so after losing an acting role in his girlfriend, Jake Scully finally catches a break. He is offered a gig house-sitting in the Hollywood Hills, While peering through the beautiful home's telescope one night, he spies a gorgeous blonde dancing in her window, naked. Um, A little more than dancing, (laughs) but okay. Yeah. Uh, But when he witnesses the girl's murder, it leads Scully through the netherworld of the adult entertainment industry on a search for answers with porn actress Holly Body as his guide. Well, let me first say that porn stuff with Holly Body, that happens like an hour and 25 minutes yeah, into that's the like movie. the last 10 minutes it really is <laughs> it makes it seem like that's what the movie is about is the like cd underworld that's not really yeah. the case it's kind of misleading so this stars craig wasson dude from uh, jake scully dude from um um nightmare three he's the doctor in the hospital with all the dream warriors i feel like he's been other stuff too but that's the only thing i've thought of that i um, recognized him from melanie griffith plays Holly Body. Holly Body. Uh Greg Henry plays his friend Sam. Love Greg Henry, man. I love yeah, him. we like him in uh just before dawn. And Slither. And I just want Gilmore my Girls. goddamn Dr. Pepper. Uh he's what's his name? Logan's dad in Gilmore Girls. I'll take your word for it. Hey lady. <laughs> <laughs> um who else? Deborah Shelton is Gloria, the mm-hmm. person he's looking at yeah, through the she window. Yeah, familiar to me. Uh, everybody else is one-offs. Oh, Barbara Crampton is his girlfriend who breaks up with oh, him yeah. for somehow, like two minutes. Somehow Barbara Crampton is in this movie for like probably, yeah, less than two minutes and you still see totally naked. <laughs> somehow she manages to get that in there. Yeah. So let's dive into this because this one is a weird one. So it's hard to review a little bit. It's a lot like Obsession where it has like vertigo vibes, but oh, like definitely. complete like vibes. 180 where it's all through like the eyes of a porn star. <laughs> the Sorry, porn yeah. industry. <laughs> this was weird because, okay, kind of, it's funny, kind of like Project A. Yeah. This movie takes like a 180 degree turn on the plot like three times. Yeah. 
I plot wise, <laughs> I don't like this movie. I think it's a total mess. That's what I said. That it's like the plot is super thin, but it's there are a thin, lot of way great complicated. scenes like piecing it all together. Yeah, if you just look at individual sequences, it's great. And style wise, the movie is fantastic. Yeah, like plot two out of five, style four and a half out of five. Like, <laughs> so it's hard to judge because of that. Because yeah, the plot is dumb. It's super convoluted and changes constantly. So it's hard to really get invested in what's happening. Um, but yeah, the cinematography is really, really good. Um, the score, like Pino Dinaggio did a ton of De Palma scores. This one might be my favorite one. It's, Mm -hmm. well, I mean, I like the one to blow out a lot, but this one's super interesting because there's a lot of, uh, electric electronic stuff. Yeah. Like that whole, the like sexy theme that's like, sing it. I don't remember how it goes now. It's like, (laughs) it was like very, it sounded like a Jean-Luc Ponty song or something. Um, and we really love there, there's <laughs> there's a music video weird. in the middle Basically, of it. <laughs> it's supposed to be when he's like becoming a porn actor, but the porno is just like a weird musical, basically a music video. Yeah, it's with relaxed, no nudity. <laughs> but Frankie goes to Hollywood. Yeah. And they're just like lip syncing along to it. And this whole like super crazy musical sequence is really great. We watched it like three times. Yeah, the that's the weird thing about this movie. Like this guy becomes obsessed with this woman and he goes through such great lengths to like unravel whatever mystery he thinks there might be. Like he's just a normal actor and he's like, I guess I'll go do porn to meet this porn star to see if she's actually the person that <laughs> yeah, I thought become, I was looking at. He literally at. <laughs> becomes a porn star just to meet this other porn star to ask yeah. her about something. It's like, you couldn't just meet her? Like, yeah, it seems, without, seems extreme. Like, doing her like, yeah. <laughs> and um, trying to trap her. Like, <laughs> There's also the, there's a very cool murder scene with a giant drill that is really Definitely suspenseful slumber and party, cool. Right? Yeah. Slumber party <laughs> massacre style. Yeah. Yeah. The kill scene was crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, yeah, you also get, uh, the like weird, I don't know. The main character is just a weirdo. Like he yeah. steals ladies underwear. I he mean, stalks people. <laughs> I mean, this is a De Palma movie. Yeah. You're so. not, you're not a De Palma protagonist <laughs> unless you're a stalker, a peeping Tom or some kind of Like it's De Palma, weirdo. all of these? I mean, like, he's is this a, a personal I mean, you, experience? <laughs> well, you know his backstory, right? I don't the, know. Well, it's, it's basically what happens in, um, uh, dress to kill as a kid. He, use like his personal like kids surveillance kit surveillance kit stuff to find out that his father was cheating on his mother. Oh, so the Palma's <laughs> a freak. Well, yeah. I mean, basically he, yeah, he's been he's, scarred he's by definitely something. a voyeur and that <laughs> voyeurism affected his childhood a lot. Yeah. So yeah, that's where that comes from. But, um, yeah, it's weird. Cause if this was like way more focused, this could mm-hmm. be like top tier De Palma for me. Yeah. I also don't know. Like they, there's a side part where like he thinks that the lady he likes is being stalked by a native American man. (laughs) And it's a little like, why a native American man? It is weird. (laughs) Well, and it's like, also it's super duper obvious what's actually happening. Yeah, it is very obvious. I mean, the plot is very confusing about how the setup is supposed to work, but who the actual bad guy is, is pretty clear from the get go. Yeah. But also like, this is totally where he got his idea for the Mission Impossible stuff yes. with the like mask and things. Face maker, <laughs> yeah. or whatever it's called. Yeah. It's like, oh, this is like exactly like that scene. Yeah, there's there's <laughs> definitely some similar stuff there. 
So it sucks because like on one hand, I like this way more than obsession. Like, yeah, I would agree. Um, it's at least not boring. And then like that relax scene is also pretty relax. awesome. But I don't know if it's just because I like the song or what. <laughs> but I like how that whole scene was shot too, yeah. because you the actually don't know what's going on. Great. Yeah. There's all these cool high angle shots and where, where stuff spinning. passes through windows. And <laughs> yeah. And I mean, he uses the vertigo, uh, round and circles shot like three times in different ways which yeah. is cool so i don't know if you like the palma movies i think it's worth seeing yeah oh for sure it's just um, yeah it's a it's yeah it's got it's, it's problematic <laughs> i gave it three and a half stars me too and also you have to rent it it's not streaming yeah or you just find a buddy named find mark. a mark yeah, yeah there is a lot out there he has a really <laughs> sweet uh boutique blu-ray of the movie <laughs> Um, all right. So the next movie we watch is a semi new one. It is in 2020 Nomad Land. Finally. We finally got to watch this movie that everybody says the best movie ever. Um, it's directed by Chloe Zhao. So this follows Frances McDormand, who is a woman in her 60s, who embarks on a journey through the Western United States after losing everything in the Great Recession. So this takes place in like 2011, I mm -hmm. think. Um, and she is living as a van-dwelling modern-day nomad. So it follows her like trying to find jobs, working for Amazon, just like temp places at state parks and sort of like the whole van community that has popped up during yeah. the recession subculture and sort of right. like and trying to be self-reliant did you say this is directed by a lady yeah a lady yes <laughs> <laughs> um so i think the two main people is francis mcdormand and david david strathern yeah who we just saw he was in a bunch of uh sopranos episodes yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i love david strathern and I, I should have looked it up before, but while we were watching, I was like, I feel like these other people are actually themselves. They are. Yeah. So it has this very like documentary feel, but like with two main stars who are just like navigating that. There feel. was some funny trivia. Well, yeah, it said most, most, if not all of the other nomads are real people that really live that life who just played characters with the same name as themselves. Yeah. Um, so you got Linda, Swanky. Swanky. Uh, <laughs> uh, but it also said, Frances McDormand, it said something like she was living, she lived in a van for like a few weeks to like, you know, while yeah. working on the movie. And it said something where they were like, uh, she didn't stick with it the whole time or something. And she said it was because she preferred to pretend to be stressed out and exhausted than to actually be stressed out <laughs> and exhausted. <laughs> just kind of funny. Something yeah. like that. It's like, yeah, that makes sense. So what do you think? Does it live up to the hype? <laughs> it's a great movie for sure. I yeah. really enjoyed it a lot. Um, it's super poignant. So there was a point pretty early in the movie when um, she's like hanging out with these other van people at like this big get together they do every year. Um, and they're all talking around the fire or whatever. And they're all talking about how they got into it. And the one lady tells a story about how one of her friend, her coworkers was planning his retirement and the guy got cancer and was like on his deathbed. He was like days from dying and he was getting calls from HR about like his retirement planning. Yeah. Uh, and how like, you know, what a horrible waste that he like spent his, his whole life prepping for, you know, retirement, being able to finally live the way life he wanted to. And he didn't even get to cause he died just as it was happening. Yeah. Um, and I was like, Oh yeah, this is going to be 
this is going to be good. This is going to be one of those movies <laughs> that makes you question all of your life decisions. <laughs> I mean, really, it does. And like, I mean, we graduated during the Great Recession. So like, it was hard to find jobs. And so you're watching all of these like, thank God I'm white. Traveling, and parents paid for all yeah, stuff. traveling around just trying to find like, oh, Amazon warehouse job, which I was really surprised. Like you said, Amazon let them film in a well, warehouse. And I think, I think it's because they don't portray them as evil. Clearly, they make it seem kind of great. <laughs> yeah, they're like, oh, yeah, I love working for Amazon. Well, great money. And perhaps <laughs> it's different because she. this is a whole seasonal. It's like a yeah. whole factory that is or distribution center or whatever that's just for seasonal for Christmas. Yeah. So maybe it isn't so bad. <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> or you're just so desperate you'll take anything. Yeah, it was interesting. question it. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, uh, it makes me like super upset we can't go on a road trip after watching this movie <laughs> yeah i <laughs> it's mean like just traveling around and state parks and it's like oh i miss that i mean this is another one i, I would compare a little bit to wild in the sense that like after watching it you want to do this yeah to some degree i don't think i could live in a white van like she does like they have a poop bucket <laughs> like i no, don't want I, a poop bucket <laughs> yeah, if you really gotta go you can use the so, seven yeah. gallon. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> if your back hurts, use the three gallon. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I just really liked how it's very personal and it really explores loneliness in like a different way that's not over the top. It's because like she loses her husband in the beginning. Well, you don't ever meet him, but like the beginning and of the movie really starts. You don't even know anything about him until way later when she yeah. starts to talk about it. Because he, like the company they both worked for, a factory, like shuts down. And it's like a whole mill town yeah, kind of Detroit. So they lose their housing and everything. And then eventually she loses him because he gets sick. And so it's just like she doesn't want to leave the town that they got married and lived in because that she'll feel like she's forgetting him or like she's the only person left who will remember him because right. they don't have kids. They don't really have family. So she feels like this weird obligation to never leave. So, which is why she kind of has like this van life. She always comes back mm -hmm. and it's super sad. Yeah. It's very sad, but it's also very like kind of poignant and thoughtful. And, uh, it's really, I love the way it's shot. It's beautiful. Yeah. It looks great. Um, and Frances McDormand, I mean, she's great, but she's always great. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and she, and I will say she's great, but she is sort of, the character's not that dissimilar from ones we've seen her play in the past. She's kind of like sassy older white woman Sad, it's, that's the older lady yeah <laughs> yeah um but it, i mean it's a that's a great character and that's what she does really well mm -hmm. so it works perfectly um so yeah i do i like this movie a lot i gave yes. it four and a half stars i did too it's not my number one movie of last year yeah Still it's really really good it is but i don't think it stands out enough to be the number one agreed i liked it a whole lot and i mean I've, I don't think, I think even if I had seen it in a reasonable amount of time, like it still pisses me off that we're seeing what supposedly was the best movie last year in late February. I think that's absurd. Um, but uh, I don't think even if we had seen it in 2020, I would have necessarily put it at the top of my list. And it's in my top five for sure, I would yeah. say. Um, but I still think never rarely sometimes yeah. always is my personal favorite for the year. Cause I'm not like rushing out. I'm not telling everyone like, Oh, you gotta see this movie like now, but like never rarely sometimes always I did feel that way. It's like, Oh, this is yeah. heartbreaking. Like, and it's like topical. Mm -hmm. Um, not that this isn't like, obviously the story will keep happening over and over again, sure. but yeah, there's something that doesn't just push it to the top for me. 
Yeah. I mean, it's a really... Like, I don't know if I'd well, go watch this again anytime soon. Sure. Like, this is a really excellent, I would say maybe nearly perfect movie, but yeah. it's not necessarily, like, personally grabs me in the same way that some of the others did from last year. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Um, but, yeah, it's great. And it's on Hulu now, which yeah. took us by surprise. We were all ready to watch something different, and then we were like, oh, sh- S-H-I-T. Nomadland uh, <laughs> is on. Let's watch it. Yeah, like... That keeps happening. Like, I've just lost all track of time of, like, when movies are coming out on these yeah. streaming services now. It's just like, Very all confusing. right, let's turn it on, and there it is. <laughs> oh, my God, we got to start podcasting right now. The new Tom and Jerry movie. Ah! <laughs> yeah, screw Nomadland. Let's watch Tom and Jerry. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so Nomadland. So next up, I watched a movie without you. Oh, take it. Which was The Father, which came out... <laughs> <laughs> this is Mr. McAllister, the father. It came out last year in 2020. This was another film that I kept hearing about um, as being a really good one. It stars Anthony Hopkins, Olivia Coleman, Mark Gaddis, Olivia Williams, Imogene Poots, Rufus Sewell, and Aisha Darker. Um, it was directed by Florian Zeller, who I don't think has done any other movie before this. Is Florian Zeller a lady? No. Oh, so close. He's a goober. Oh, ready to hit the button. <laughs> yeah. Um, He's a goober. <laughs> actually, did you put a, a Hey Ladies for Anna Biller? No, let's do it right now. Ah! Hey Ladies! <laughs> okay. <laughs> or Blazing World? Have you been... Hey Ladies! <laughs> <laughs> okay are we caught up i haven't been paying attention yeah, I, haven't I forgot we were gonna do that <laughs> anyway so the father is about um a man who refuses all assistance assistance from his daughter as he ages as he tries to make sense of his changing circumstances he begins to doubt his loved ones his own mind and even the fabric of his reality so anthony hopkins I don't know if they ever say exactly what it is. It's either dementia or Alzheimer's or both. Yeah. Um, and so Olivia Coleman is his daughter and she keeps trying to convince him like he needs a, a nurse to take care of him because she can't be there all the time. Um, but like every time she brings in a, a, a stay in nurse, he kind of like loses it. He gets really mad and like makes them feel awful. Mm. So they quit. Um but the crazy thing about this movie is the way I think that it's shot. So it mostly takes place in this apartment and they keep using the apartment um, like little things, not even little things, like the style of the apartment changes. So mm. like the kitchen is one of the main things you notice first, like in Anthony Hopkins mind, it's his apartment. And so he's picturing like he's in his kitchen, but then like, as the story progresses, you find out he actually moved in with Olivia Coleman. And so the kitchen is like modern, but he still thinks it's like his apartment. And then later on they like go to the doctor, but it looks just like the apartment, Hmm. but like it's a, has different chairs and stuff and so he's always like where did this come from and like he thinks like his bedroom is down the hall and then the other crazy part is that they're um the character the actors change so like olivia coleman is his daughter but there's another woman olivia williams who um do we know her from something you would know her if you saw she looks just like olivia coleman which they did on purpose i'm sure yeah Oh, she's the teacher in Rushmore. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Rosemary. So, like, there's a scene where 
she comes in and she's like, do you want me to get dinner ready? And he's just like, who are you? Yeah. But then like you as the audience, you're like, oh, maybe that's actually his daughter. And Olivia Coleman isn't. Or maybe he like, this is her younger or right, is this her right. older? Because they look so similar. I'm surprised nobody's, I mean, maybe they have, but this seems like such an obvious thing, way to do Alzheimer's in film. I'm surprised we haven't seen Yeah, like I think this, this is based on a play. So that's, that's probably cool. where a lot of this comes from. Yeah. And then the same thing happens with um, Olivia Coleman's husband. Although it's very complicated because there's parts in the movie where she isn't married, where she is married, or where she's separated and moving to Paris and like... It's all confusing. So hmm. you feel like Anthony Hopkins, he can't keep track. He's like, well, where's yeah. your husband? He's like, I've never been married. And like, like you told me you're going to Paris. He's like, I'm not going to Paris. Like, okay. So it's just like, you're super confused the whole time as well. Yeah. Um, And then there's, all, I won't, I mean, the ending is probably the most heartbreaking part. Cause like, this is not a hopeful movie. It's super sad and depressing. So you kind of feel like as it progresses, you you're in Anthony Hopkins shoes and then the end he just like has a total breakdown like yeah and it's super sad hearing like Anthony Hopkins cry like a uh, cry for his mom and like he he kind of reverts like to a child state and it's just like oh my god wow. yeah <laughs> so yeah this movie is super uh, interesting because when I saw the trailer, I was like, is this like a, a time thing? Like a sci-fi thing? Like what yeah. if he actually Slaughterhouse is? Slaughterhouse-5 yeah. style. <laughs> I was like, these people just keep Sir changing. Sir Anthony Hopkins <laughs> has become unstuck in time. Yeah. Um, and also has your man Rufus Sewell. Rufus Sewell! Who is a total dick in this movie. <laughs> he, play, he plays really great bad guys. Wasn't he like an evil um, like archduke or something? Or, oh, he was in that. I think so. Maybe that show mm -hmm. about Queen Mary or something. Maybe. I don't know. But anyways, I like Rufus Sewell. He's awful in this and I hate him. Yeah. Well, he's good. He's good. <laughs> yeah. Mom. I won't spoil the scene, but yeah, he needs to go away. Mm. <laughs> but anyway, I highly well, recommend this movie. And in what point does this cross over with Planet of the Apes when James Franco <laughs> creating an Alzheimer's cure? Uh, I don't think there is a cure in this movie. Oh, so that's too bad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> then there's no talking happens. monkeys. No, mm. no monkeys. Mm. There's no pets either. There's only oh, like this bad. small group of You could really actors. do some stuff with good cat with cats, yeah. you know. But no, that does sound really interesting. <laughs> yeah, it's one like I've don't think I've seen a movie that is, has been shot like this or and it's also like one of those stage adaptations. It doesn't feel like a theatrical like thing. Mm -hmm. It's not over the top. It's very subtle. Yeah. That's cool. So yeah. What'd you give it? Four and a half. Wow. I praise. I'm telling you, it's good. Right, I wouldn't be surprised it. if Anthony Hopkins get nominated. Yeah. Is that a this year movie or a next year or last, last year? Last year, movie? 2020. Okay. But yeah, I don't think there's any way to watch it. Luckily, we got a screener. So <clears throat> yeah. What? You're supposed to review it. Yeah, I was. <laughs> <laughs> you watched it and I was there too. <laughs> yeah, sure. I watched it. Michelle was I'm sure they the listened to our podcast. <laughs> yeah. Boy, I am screwed. <laughs> yeah. This movie that came out a year ago. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so what's next? Next up is, no, no, the, just Thief. <laughs> uh, so this came out in 1981, directed by Michael Mann. Is this his first film? No, but it is early in his career. So this stars James Caan, who plays a professional safecracker. I don't know why they call it, like, wasn't this like an ex safe crackers? Like, he's not an ex anything. Yeah, I don't know why they say former safecracker. Yeah. He's a pretty active... Um, well, actually, I'll take that back. This might be his first um, 
like major. He did some other features, but nothing I'd ever heard of. Yeah. So this might be his first like big feature. Anyway, so it follows Sorry. this professional safecracker who is specialized in high-profile diamond heists. Um, he decides to pair up with this other man who is kind of going to take control of like all the financial aspects of setting up the jobs mm-hmm. and then kind of ends up regretting it because of the um, hold they have over him now. Yeah. And then one of the other parts of this movie is that he... Basically, he wants to do like one more giant heist. As you do. And like start a family with, um, what's her name? Um, Tuesday. Tuesday Weld. Wow, weird name. Uh, so he wants to like have a family, kind of retire and just live off his money from the heist. Yeah. But things don't go according to plan. I mean, they do and then they don't. Yeah. So this also stars Willie Nelson, Jim mm-hmm. Belushi. Robert Prusky, yeah, who is the guy from Mrs. Doubtfire, and um, what else was he in recently that we just saw? We were like, "What's a dude from Mrs. Doubtfire?" Christine. Yeah, yeah, he's like he's the like sleazy um, mechanic guy. Yeah, um, but also the other great aspect of this film is that it was scored by Tangerine oh, Dream, dude. <laughs> the score and it has a killer poster. <laughs> yeah, the poster's really cool. The score and the cinematography in this movie are amazing. But you know they won't make me want to do. They make me want to woo Michelle. Woo! <laughs> <laughs> That's how thief makes me feel. Um. <laughs> all right. Woo! <laughs> <laughs> so for the most part, I really like this film. I thought there was a few issues. Like in the beginning, there were some major sound issues. It was really hard yeah. to understand what people were saying. <laughs> yeah, I agree. It was almost like they hired some amateur to do the sound and then they changed him out. Yeah. Because yeah, the, yeah first, the second half was fine. The first couple <laughs> scenes, it is like, it sounds like, like there's what? something wrong with the yeah. tape almost. Like it's really weird. And then there are a couple scenes where it seems like there's focus issues. But I didn't notice that, but I it, Well, it. the whole movie is kind of dark lit at night and stuff. Sure. And there's a lot of stuff where it's like taking place in a car really close up. And so those parts were like kind of out of focus. Hmm. But other than that, I thought it's just a pretty fun film and the actual heist is pretty awesome. Heist is so cool. Uh, There's so many super cool, like really memorable shots. And actually it's funny. It kind of reminded me of David Fincher cinematography. Like there's a shot in the beginning that we both just went like, whoa, (laughs) where the camera goes into the hole that he drilled in the safe. Like you see inside the mechanics and it's like, how the hell did they Mm. do that? Um, so there's a lot of those kind of like impossible esque, uh, Fincher shots, like that you're like, how do they pull that off? There's a super cool shot where like the camera's like fixed on the hood, glossy hood of the car as he's like driving through all these like lit lights and stuff. It's very like kind of surreal and cool looking. The whole movie's like super stylish. Mm -hmm. Uh, and yeah, the score is fantastic. I think I like it even better than the sorcerer score, but that, uh, they did. Um, my only kind of issue, and it's kind of minimal, I guess, is that I kind of am a little disinterested in the main character. Yeah. Um, just because I feel like I don't know anything about it. There's like the one scene in the diner when he like kind of lays it all out about like, and mostly it's really just like, I went to prison and when you're in prison, you have to like not care if you live or die. And I don't want to be like that anymore. I'm done. I'm, I'm ready to be out of this and just enjoy the fruits of all the, the heists that I've done. Yeah. Um, but other than that, you don't really 
know, I don't feel like you really know anything about him. So there's not a lot vested in like his winning kind of. I would say the only part that does stand out where you get to see him more is when they're trying to adopt a kid and he freaks out and he's like, I grew up in a place like this. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Like you very, you get very rare glimpses though. So I agree. You don't have a lot like to care about him for whether or not he lives or dies. It reminded me of like in Drive where it's like, the main character, they don't really have a personality. Instead, they've just got this like super sleek, like very angry professionalism. Yeah. That's kind of beneath the surface. Um, but I guess kind of that goes with the whole style of the movie, which is like, it's kind of feels like the intention is to show what being a safe cracker might really be like. And that you, it's not like, there's not a lot of scenes where the guy's like, first you got to do this and then you got to do that. Like you just sort of have to follow along with the real world scenarios that they're dealing with. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like it's very like uh, you're just playing catch up in their world and mm-hmm. the, and they don't really hand you everything on a silver platter, which I guess is about the character uh, past and personality is kind of the same way. Like you just yeah. sort of figure it out. Um, yeah, I thought this was very cool. I enjoyed it a lot. Yeah. My other issue was why would this woman, this waiter barely yeah. know this guy? And she's like, all right, I'll move in and buy a house with you and like have your baby. Like, yeah. I kind of agree. I like, it's, what? <laughs> there's, uh, it's hard to tell how much time passes in some of this stuff because yeah. it very much seems like it seems very quick. She's been his waitress a few times and then he invites her on a date and then asks her to marry him and they get married like the next day. Yeah. And she's <laughs> like, no, I won't do that. And it's like, and then he's like, I was in prison and I got beat up. Yeah, And I want you. And she's like, okay, (laughs) I guess that makes sense. But then you find out like, she's also been like married or had a relationship with like a drug dealer. And she's like, I won't go down this road again. He's like, well, what if you do go down this road again? (laughs) Like, (laughs) yeah, it's very much just like, okay. Yeah. Yeah, And then like, I'll buy you a big house. And then it's like, that's fine. (laughs) Yeah. Let's have a baby. I I totally agree that, that. I mean, that's part of like the, feel like there's some missing characterization yeah. stuff but or it's just that is written by a man a michael man <laughs> well is this was this based on something too i don't know actually i think it did say it was based on a book yeah i think so and like i guess every woman is just gonna follow head over heels for a thief who can provide her a million dollar house i don't know i mean that was pretty cool <laughs> um it was a nice house <laughs> but yeah yeah, I, I agree with that quibble with it. I I uh had I kind of had that too. But um but yeah, this is but just purely from like a stylistic and a crime perspective. I mean I guess kinda similar to like silent partner. Mm-hmm. Except this is even more super stylized. Even more silent. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um less Canadian. Yeah. I mean, this film is <laughs> badass. This is definitely you could see this being an, like um the driver. This is another one that feels like it's preliminary version of drive like yeah definitely takes I stuff see this. That. Um, yeah it's super cool i really mm-hmm. enjoyed it and yeah I, this made us realize that we should probably do a heist episode one day because we've seen a, a handful of really yeah. good ones in the last couple of years we definitely have um how does this rank among other michael mann movies for you well what else does he have that we've man seen? hunter and heat i uh, haven't public seen enemies, man collateral I love. I want to see that. I haven't seen it in a long time either, and I love Manhunter. I really isn't that on Criterion now. I have no idea. I think it might be, or maybe it's maybe it's Scream Factory. Somebody put out a really nice version that I really would like to get. I would say this is probably. I mean, honestly, I don't remember most of his movies now. Fair. 
I might like Thief. It might be my number one, but uh, Heat, Heat, and Thief and um, uh, Manhunter are all like really, really great crime movies that he did. So it's weird. Last Mohican stands out. Like that is not a crime movie. Yeah. I mean, I guess people get murdered a I lot, for- but <laughs> I forgot he did that. Yeah, it's like Daniel Day Lewis running through the woods as a Native American. Yeah, <laughs> but I always hear a lot about Miami Vice. Like the action yeah, is insane. True. So like maybe one day we'll we'll continue our a manathon. <laughs> manathon. Yeah, I like that idea. Um, but yeah, I gave the four stars. Me too. And I think it was streaming, right? HBO. Uh, HBO. Yeah, yeah, HBO. All right, so Thief. I recommend it. Um, next up is I Care A Lot. Insert Faith No More song here. <laughs> Which we came, care a lot. <laughs> Which came out in 2020, although I think it came out it's, this year, it's right? I'm counting they for this year. They just aired it, it on Netflix. It was in Netflix. some festivals in October. Yeah, 2021 movie. Not even in the U.S. <laughs> and then, yeah, is now on HBO? Or what was it? Netflix. Netflix, I'm sorry. Directed by J, just the letter J, Blakeson. So you know what you're getting into. Yeah, I wish (laughs) I had known his name beforehand because that might have changed my... Yeah. (laughs) Um, So this movie stars Rosamund Pike, who is a court-appointed legal guardian who defrauds her older clients and traps them under her care. But her latest mark comes with some unexpected baggage. So uh, what, Diane Wiest Mm -hmm. is the elderly woman that she tries to swindle out of her riches and diamonds yeah um and then you also have peter dinklage who is diane weiss's son but they don't know he exists um and then you also have isa gonzalez who plays fran who is rosamund pike's girlfriend yeah so yeah the problem is I don't care a lot. <laughs> yeah, I thought there were several letterbox reviews. I added like, that to mine. One of them was like, I don't care at all. <laughs> yeah, I put, I don't care a lot about any of the main characters. <laughs> so, I mean. So let's start off. This movie looks Let's say the good cool. stuff first, yeah. There are some cool parts to it, but that's all I have for the good parts. I mean, cinematography <laughs> is really nice. There's some really cool shots. Rosamund Pike has a great bob. <laughs> yeah. As uh, she always does. <laughs> and um, the soundtrack is a lot of fun and score. It's very like, uh, I don't know. Uh, it's got cool, cool kind of techno stuff. Yeah. But it kind of, the whole movie is like cinematography and score and stuff. All of it is very super polished to the point where it feels a little too polished is yeah. one one problem. But the bigger problem is that there's not a protagonist. Nope. <laughs> yeah. So Rosamund Pike is evil. Peter Dinklage is evil. And then evil combines and that's all it's we just get. It's like, yeah, bad people. <laughs> fighting bad people bad being people. bad and uh, profiting off of it. Well, <laughs> and yeah, and it's not like a movie has to have like a moral to it, but it feels like, because like I, I was thinking when I was trying to think about why other movies that don't like you can look at like nightcrawler or like hateful eight or movies that are where like all the main characters are like totally immoral. Yeah. But those movies also have a lot more to say underneath their like very cool exteriors where I feel like this is all cool exterior and there's really, it doesn't really have anything to say at all. Yeah. Because even like with nightcrawler, well, I was going to say, I don't know. Like, she is defrauding old people. There's nothing redeeming about her. And Peter 
Dinklage is like a sex trafficker. It's like, yeah, right. It's like, uh, okay, who and am yeah, I rooting for? Right, and in like, the end, you're supposed to be kind of excited when they like join forces. And like, like, I'm not. Uh, okay. Like, why would I be? Yeah, well, it's funny. In the trivia, it's like either the director or one of the actors thing was like, I'm really excited that we could make a movie where that really brings awareness to these kind of scams that happen in real life. And it was like, they just glorified yeah, it. I was like, dude, all you did was make a movie about how to do it and yeah. how to get away with Extre- it. Like, that's and what I cool, thought. It was how like, cool how many people are going to do this now? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, okay. You can get away with it. If you do this, like if you find this doctor who's willing to give away all your medical information, like, <laughs> yeah, it's like, all right, it's I mean, just a step by step. <laughs> yeah, definitely. The more, Morals of the movie are not great. And then the fact it just feels sort of soulless too. Yeah. And then the only main interesting character in this is Diane Weist. And then like, she has nothing to say after like the first 40 minutes. Like she was, she was the main plot of the movie that I thought. And then it just changes. And she's like an afterthought. Yeah. I was definitely more interested in it when it was like, this old lady is going to take down this like ruthless B I T C H. Yeah. (laughs) Um, but, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I wish that um, I wish that somebody would just create a uh, a cool horror franchise with Rosamund Pike as the recurring villain because that's obviously what needs to happen. Yeah, because <laughs> <laughs> she's great. She's super. She could be this super cool, ruthless villain, but she didn't have anybody to to butt up against as the protagonist. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. So yeah, that that's a real problem. But I will say there's some things I appreciate. Like I said, I thought the cinematography and the music was cool. And I think Rosamund Pike is very good. And I, I appreciate the fact that this is a movie where you've created a, a ruthless, cool villain who also happens to be a lesbian. And that has nothing to do with the fact that she's good or bad. Yeah. Um, like, it's just that's, you know, she's a lesbian. Um, I can appreciate that. But again, like, that'd be much cooler if there was actually a person that was not a villain mm-hmm. <laughs> also. So yeah, I don't know. Yeah, uh, probably not worth it feels watching. Like, it feels like it was made by a guy who goes by the letter J. Exactly. And not an I also name. like. I looked up his. He has no good movies. It's ugh. yeah. <laughs> like the Fifth Wave. Like what even is that? You got. You gotta be. You gotta appreciate a, a a man who somehow gets a huge budget. Exactly. Netflix yeah. How do you get all these cast people ugh. that comes out Come of nowhere? Come on, Netflix. I directed a bunch of Ford commercials or something. Yeah. Anyway, it's on Netflix, but I'd say it's skippable. Yeah, it's okay. I mean, if 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 this came out in December, if this is December and you're trying to catch up on 2021 movies, this one's definitely not worth no. it. Right now, when there's not that much else coming out, you know, we we're like, oh, nope. Netflix cool. I like Rosamund Pike, but yeah, I gave it three stars, which is, I guess, I would maybe as high lower it go. too. Yeah. yeah, I gave it three stars, but the more I talk about, it, the more angry it makes me. Yeah, it was like <laughs> at the beginning we're watching. I was like, oh, this is really cool. This is really interesting and different than yeah. you know most of the stuff you see. But then by the end, you're like, well, what the hell was that? <laughs> I'm starting to wonder if it's all Netflix too. Like, we need to rate see our Netflix movies that were produced by netflix right because we've had this conversation before where it's like nobody's telling these people you should there's no like editing control or anything so these directors are just putting their crap out without anybody saying it's crap yeah i agree totally agree which i'm all for like more free like artists doing what they need to do but like it's it's not the end of the world to have someone just look at it and be like "Mm, i don't know if that makes sense (laughs) yeah i agree there's always 
yeah, you need you don't just need yes men around. Yeah. Or women. <laughs> yes women. Yes people. <laughs> yes persons. Um so yeah, I think we need to I'm trying to think of like any good Netflix movies that don't just end up like a 3 3 I could and a give half. you one, although they didn't produce it. I think they just distributed it. But um I'm talking more produced. Yeah, I was thinking yeah. uh, his house. Yeah. I that was probably more shutter. No, I didn't have anything to do with Shutter. It was all on Netflix. Oh, okay. But I don't think they produced it. I think they bought it after the fact. Probably. But because it does not feel like a Netflix movie. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. We'd have to look at a list. That's a good maybe a future mini segment. Yeah. Let's trash Netflix movies. Like, what the <laughs> F U C K Netflix. Their mini their mini series <laughs> are worse. A lot worse, I would say. Well, like the crown is great. I liked Queen's Gambit. Oh, I forgot that was Netflix. I'm thinking of like all their like teen ones. Oh. Well, we're not in that age uh, you anymore. You watch half of them. Didn't you watch? Well, uh, I watch you? Bridgerton. You is trash, but <laughs> it's good trash. <laughs> All right. This isn't good trash. All right, we're getting way off topic. <laughs> so our last film that we watched is... The Kissing Booth 2. No. <laughs> See, exactly. Another Netflix crap. Sorry. <laughs> um, the Manitou. Manitou. <laughs> Which came out in 1978, directed by William Girdler. Oh, snap. Um, a psychic's girlfriend finds out that a lump on her back is a growing reincarnation of a 400-year-old demonic Native American spirit. Whew. Evil Say does not die. It waits to be reborn. Hell yeah, it does. <laughs> it stars, can you believe it? Tony Curtis. Yeah, that's the right way to say it. <laughs> uh, Michael and Susan Stratzberg, Stella Stevens, John Cedar. I don't Bur- Burgess 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 Meredith in the weirdest scene <laughs> of the whole movie. Yeah, Tony Curtis people in a seventies horror movie where a man is born out of a woman's neck. <laughs> Got that right. And that's the least weird thing that happens yeah. in this movie. <laughs> that part's fine. <laughs> that uh, part's creepy. <laughs> I may have talked about this on the podcast before, so I want to hear your thoughts about it. I love three fourths of this movie. <laughs> um, so this movie is super original. I don't think I've seen anything quite like Based it. Best selling book, isn't that weird? That is very weird because <laughs> it seems like I can't imagine this in any other form. No. Um, and I actually love Tony Curtis in it. <laughs> yeah, hell yeah. He's wearing his bell bottoms all over the place. Um, but yeah, the whole concept. <laughs> There's parts of it where it's like, I can't tell if it is offensive that it's a Native American medicine man coming out of her neck and he's evil or yeah, not. <laughs> I was going to ask you what you thought. Yeah. Uh, because on one because hand. Because they use a Native American medicine man to fight against him. Yeah, but then they not, don't because it's Native the white American savior. Actor. Yeah. Um, but yeah, well, but it is all about like, yeah, I mean, they use. I don't know. They, I feel like they take the Native American stuff seriously, but also maybe fetishize it a little I bit. I think they do a little bit, yeah. So, yeah, that's For, yeah. that's maybe a problem. But, like, their whole journey to try and figure out what's going on and, like, how they have all this issue with, like, the doctors and then, the like, the subtle dialogue <sighs> about technology and computers, like, overtaking everything. And <laughs> Oh, my God. And, yeah, so the, the ending... So the part where I start... Like after this man comes out of her neck, mm-hmm. I'm on. like, 
this is awesome. <laughs> but then when he starts gaining his power and like weird crap starts happening, that's where I start feeling this is getting gimmicky or not even gimmicky. It's just it's too over the top, which you would think like a man being poured out of a woman's neck is over the top, but it isn't. <laughs> See, that's what's funny because for me, it's the like first time I baby. saw it, when it starts getting crazy, which I think the part you're referring to is when suddenly that whole floor of the hospital is frozen. That is where I think I was like, there's eh. ice and snow everywhere. Yeah. That's the part when I was like, oh my God, this movie is so cool because it's yeah. so crazy. <laughs> because, yeah, when the way this movie starts, if you just watch the first 10 minutes, if you watch the first 10 minutes and the last 10 minutes, you would never know they're the same movie. Yeah. Because it gets so, I don't want to ruin it, but it gets, because it gets so, so bonkers that in the last like 15 minutes of the movie. More bonkers than a man being born out of a woman's way neck. More. <laughs> a way 400 more. year old man. <laughs> yes. It's so crazy. Yeah. Um, and then Burge, Burgess is. Oh my God, that scene is so, so weird. Bizarre. It's like he just wandered onto set, said some stuff, and they just ran with it. It's like he vaguely. Like, I guess we have to follow this now. <laughs> it's like he vaguely memorizes lines, but he just sort of gives them while in the middle of like Critis- dusting his yeah. apartment because he's constantly just like, oh, it <laughs> needs so to be cleaned in here. And he's in like, here. oh, every uh, everybody have a seat, and everybody's already sitting there. Yeah. <laughs> it's like super weird. <laughs> It feels and like then he just walks off. He's like, well, call me if you need me. <laughs> like, it feels like that was the best they could get. And they couldn't afford to just redo the scene with an actor who was more uh, yeah. uh, with it. <laughs> I don't know what to say. It's very weird. Um, but I think visually this movie is super cool and memorable. I really like the head that comes out of the table during the se- seance. It's yeah, that really was really cool. Um there's when I saw that table, I'm like, that table is too black. Like, there's a reason why. <laughs> I had totally forgotten about gonna that. It's going to be creepy in a minute. Um, so yeah, like all of that stuff, it was like subtle enough that it is creepy and you don't know what's going on. And then like, it just gets more outlandish where like they're reading uh, Burgess's book mm-hmm. and it's like, there is a story of like a, a young girl whose arm started to swell and a medicine man came out, a fully formed medicine man came out of her arm. I mean, we've <laughs> and seen then it. you're like, Oh, that's the route we're going. Yep. <laughs> I also, I think it's super interesting and unique that this movie, like it takes like the supernatural threat really deadly seriously, but it also has these really funny moments. Like, uh, I mean, Tony Curtis, especially He's doing so like, many one-liners. So <laughs> the medicine man that's born, his name is Misqua Marcus. Yeah. Uh, and Tony Curtis character keeps calling him the mix master. Which <laughs> 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 is really funny every yeah. time, even they're like, it's like the world is about to end and they're yeah. like, I've like, had it with this mix master. <laughs> it's really funny. Yeah. The other part I really like in the beginning is Tony Curtis is like, a, I guess he's a real psychic kind I mean, of. He's he has sort of a con artist. Yeah. So he's conning this woman, but then this woman starts speaking oh, with man. the voice of the Manitou and then she like levitates she, down the hall and it's done in such a great way. Manitou, yeah. Salitou, yeah. And he's just like, what's going on? He's like trying to call like a ambulance for her. Cause that she like gets so thrown down the stairs. Cool. Yeah. She levitates down the hallway and yeah, then speaking is like, and, like Swahili. And falling down the stairs. <laughs> it's so cool. I love that scene. The other thing, I don't, I think I like it, but I'm also like, why did this woman, where was she when she, like, this happens all really quickly. Like, she feels a lump on her neck, well, and then, like, a week later, it's, like, a full growth well, coming they, out of they her. Well, they do the seance in her house, which to me implies that, like, maybe the house was built on, like, Indian ground. 
Native American ground. That would make sense. That I was guess. that was my. Uh, I think I missed that part. Like I remember thinking, like, wait, whose house is? I mean, this? they don't Who say is this that, lady. Like, the land used to be Native American or something, but um, yeah, because they all they say is like she was at the wrong place at the wrong time yeah, or whatever yeah. at the right time. So that that's the only thing I was like, does she like do things like this? Talk to spirits? Like, why was she chosen? Yeah, I don't know. Which yeah, they never really go really into. Clear. Yeah. Which I don't I think I like that that they don't over explain anything. Yeah. And how do you defeat the monster? Love. Yeah. And and computers. computers. <laughs> Spirits of computers. Yeah. The, yeah, that part felt hokey too. It's like, well, every man made thing has, has a, a manatu. manatu. And it's like even the gun has all a manatu. Computers. The computer has a manatu. Yeah. <laughs> Zap. <laughs> oh, I love it. I love it so much. This is a movie that I feel like every time I watch it, it's going to go up another half star because I just really, I enjoyed it even more this time around. See, so maybe I'll like it even more the next time. Yeah. Uh, I gave it a four star. I gave it three and could, a half. I could maybe go four and a half. <laughs> <laughs> it's um, not streaming anywhere. Yeah. <laughs> but you can buy it on Screen Factory. I don't think it was that expensive either. It's kind of a, a lower tier one of theirs. It's not like a two disc or special edition or whatever. Yeah. But yeah. So that ends our roundup. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so next up, we're going to get into our mini segment called Hey Ladies <laughs> in Horror. <laughs> I like that polyester look. You know, I really love to do your hair sometimes. So, for this mini segment, I don't know if we decided the criteria. Basically, we have this book, A Thousand Women in Horror. And since it's February's Women in Horror Month, we are going to look at a few people that Harper picked from it. Yeah, because I'm the man, all right? <laughs> the man, so mansplaining Women in Horror Month. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so this book is by Alexandra Heller Nicholas. It's super cool as like a piece of reference, uh, a reference book, and it's got in interviews. It's like an encyclopedia of women that have been involved in horror movies from 1895 to 2018. So this is like the first volume. But also this book is amazing because it's like matte cover. It's super smooth. It opens flat. It has an awesome uh, illustration on the front. It's a gorgeous it's a good book. book. Yeah, it's <laughs> really, really cool. I got it for Christmas and I've been, uh, I haven't really gotten to look through it that much so i'm glad to take a look so i picked four entries of just some ladies that i thought we might want to talk about briefly let's talk about them in All alphabetical right. uh no <laughs> no that's crazy uh well what order then <laughs> the order that i decide okay. as the man all right so first one <laughs> so first up is karen kusama Karen? It is Karen. I thought it was Karen for yours, but it's Karen. What? Karen? <laughs> well, it's K-A-R-Y-N. Mm, I think it's just Karen. Well, it's fine. It's not. <laughs> um, uh, but here, let's talk about Karen. Um, says, raised in Missouri, filmmaker and writer Karen Kusama is a figurehead in the ever-growing contemporary women in horror movement. She studied film at the Tisch School of Arts in New York, where she won a prize for her student film. Uh, da -da 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 -da, skipping around. Uh, she was. She got her first break as an assistant for filmmaker John Sayles. Her debut film was Girl Fight in 2000, which I have never heard of, but it won major prizes at Sundance and Cannes. Uh, 
Oh man, I always forget this. Uh, after a difficult experience with studio meddling in her sophomore effort, Aeon Flux, <laughs> which I've never seen, um, she would turn in 2009 to direct the Diablo Cody written horror film, Jennifer's Body. Yeah. She's a big favorite in this household, uh, which is now championed as a cult feminist horror film way ahead of its time. Uh, in 2015, she did The Invitation, which we talked about on Halloween, we watched, um, to widespread positive response from critics. Uh 2017, she directed a contemporary, uh, oh yeah, contemporary Rosemary's Baby reimagining her only living son as a segment for the in highly anticipated all-female director anthology XX, um, which that segment is the best part of that movie by far. You, you didn't see that, right? That. Yeah, you nope. should check it out. It's There's four segments, and at least two of them are good. Two of them are okay, but the um, Karn Kusama one's really cool. And then, yeah, she did Destroyer uh, two, three years ago. Uh, it says, Kusama is a vocal advocate for women in film industry and isn't afraid to call out bullshit when she sees it. That's you go, girl. <laughs> That's right. So we've seen The Invitation, Everything's Destroyer. And Jennifer's body. Jennifer's body. Everything since Jennifer's body, basically, right? And then she's done some TV shows. She did... Oh. Uh, Halt and Catch Fire. She did Outsider. one of the best episodes of Halt and Catch Fire. Uh, the one where I don't want to spoil it, where they're cleaning out somebody's house of somebody who recently died. Mm. One of the, I think potentially the best episode of the whole series. I think that's the one she directed. Um, but yeah, I love Karn Kusama. She's one of my favorites. Mm -hmm. And she's going to be doing a oh, yeah. universal reboot of Dracula. Which it's weird. Chloe Zhao, who we talked about earlier for Nomadland, is also doing a futuristic sci-fi Western adaptation of Dracula. Yeah. Also under Universal. Um, and but I think Karen Kusama is, is more. Um, uh, I don't know. More sticking to the original, I guess. I don't know if it's supposed to take place in modern time. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know much about it yet, but I'm excited for sure. Oh, it's going to be with Blumhouse. Oh, right. Yeah, like it's part of their Invisible So I think Man. it is going to be like a new version but yeah, in our time version. of Dracula. That's cool. So, yeah, she's good with vampires or succubuses. Yeah, something like that. <laughs> yeah. Who's next? I, I love her stuff. Um, next, we've got Wendy Carlos. Uh, famed electronic musician and film composer Wendy Carlos is renowned for her breathtaking soundtrack work, most famously used by Stanley Kubrick to chilling effect in his 1980 film, The Shining. Yes. After having <laughs> collaborated with the filmmaker on his 1971 film, A Clockwork Orange in 71. Long having experienced gender dysphoria, Carlos is a transgender horror icon who began hormone treatment in 1969. The Shining was released a year after Carlos had gone public about her transition. She also wrote the soundtrack for Tron in 1982. I didn't know that. Yeah. That's awesome. Uh, I'm a big fan of Wendy Carlos just as a musician, too. I, some of her um, albums are super cool. It's uh, What's the one? Dad had one of her records I used to listen to a lot. It's, uh, oh, man. I don't know. Switched on Bach, I think, is her most famous one. She did, like, classical pieces with synthesizers and um, stuff. It says she's also in the music department for A Clockwork Orange. Yeah, I said that. Oh, she but did. it says it's as Walter Carlos. Did you listen to anything I just read? I was looking <laughs> up her stuff. Yeah, she transitioned between those two movies. But who's Walter? It's her. She, <gasps> did you not hear anything <laughs> I said? She's transgender. I t oh, 
I'm sorry. It was like a that. whole paragraph I just read about that. <laughs> I didn't know that. Long having experienced gender dysphoria, Carlos is a transgender horror icon who began horror. I missed treatment. that part. <laughs> I was apparently IMDBing her. All right. <laughs> well, anyway. it's just weird because like you don't hear about many transgender people from like that's why that I wanted time. to mention her. <laughs> Mindy Carlos is one of the first kind of high profile people, at least one of the first people I had heard about hmm. uh, growing up. Because, yeah, we were big listeners of Wendy Carlos. But anyways, yeah, Wendy Carlos. Um, let's, do an, let's do an actress. I've got Veronica Cartwright. British-born U.S. emigre Veronica Cartwright built an impressive career as a child star with early career highlights revealing a flair for the dark side with films like Alfred Hitchcock's horror movie The Birds. She's a little girl in The Birds. She's the crazy. one who's like, the birds are coming. I'm just kidding. Probably. I haven't seen the birds. I can't, in a long I can't time. remember. She's, she's, I think she's probably the, girl the school girl who has the birthday party. I think yeah. the main girl. Um, and the, the gothic birds. lesbian melodrama, The Children's Hour, which I haven't seen. Um, while her filmography numbers well into the hundreds, some of her most memorable roles are in horror sci-fi hybrids, including Invasion of the Body Snatchers, uh, and the 2007 remake. Apparently, uh, Alien. Uh, and the X-Files. Um, blah, blah, blah. She's also in The Town That Dreaded Sundown, The Dark Below. Witches of East. Witches of East. Yeah, it says, if there's one scene that encapula- encapsulates Cartwright's flair for the grotesque and disturbing, it is surely the famous cherry puking scene in George Miller's The Witches of East. <laughs> <laughs> I always, my favorite thing about Veronica Cartwright is that it seems like she gets a short end of the stick in everything Basically. where the director doesn't tell her what's going to happen and something awful happens because yeah. both in alien, she was not aware. I mean, none of them were, but she, they weren't aware of what was going to happen in the chest bursting and the blood goes all over <laughs> and she does that like, Oh God, and it's real. Uh, and then also the end of invasion of the body snatchers. She was not told that about what actually was going to happen in the ending when, you know, that, yeah. that famous thing happens if you haven't seen it. Um, so yeah, I think Veronica Cartwright's great and it blew my mind when I found out she's the little girl in the birds. Cause that's like two different generations yeah. of movies that I would not have ever guessed. I'm looking at some of the photos. She's also, it says she's listed in scary movie as mother. So I don't know what really? she, the I first would, scary movie. I think that's what it Oh said. my God. I think she is the mom of, <laughs> of, uh, Anna Ferris and officer doofy. <laughs> that's weird. I yeah. haven't seen it that, so in a while. Yeah. They didn't know. mention scary movie in here. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I like Veronica Cartwright a lot. And I always thought of her as that one from Alien. She's so like, I always like the whole thing in Alien too, that like she was originally supposed to be Ripley kind yeah. of, and they give it to Scorny Weaver. And so they kind of hated each other. Yeah. So Veronica Cartwright's super whiny and annoying in that movie, mm. but probably for good reason. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and the last one I picked is maybe a lesser known one. Uh, Leslie Manning. Leslie Manning. Um, and it says, if you told most people that the number 11 entry on IndieWire's 2017 list of best ever British horror films of all time was directed by a woman, many, even the most dedicated horror fans, might pause to think who this might be. But although writer and filmmaker Leslie Manning may not exactly be a household name, the fruits of her labor as director of the notorious 1991 BBC teleplay Ghost Watch <laughs> has her forever associated with one of Britain's most notorious television events of all time. Written and created by Stephen Volk, Ghostwatch was presented as a live broadcast of a reality TV-style ghost-hunting Halloween special whose critique of our gullibility was proven only uh, to be only too necessary when audiences en masse believed it to be real, resulting in complaints, panic, and allegedly even suicide. 
A graduate of Beaconsfield, uh, Beaconfield's National Film and TV School, Manning worked across both TV, later focusing uh, increasingly on feature films, including the psychological thriller Layla, and she is currently developing a feature film called Extra Sensory, which I didn't know. I didn't know she'd ever directed other movies. I would like to see I was, Layla. Yeah, I'm looking through, and it seems like it's a lot of TV episodes. Yeah, that makes um, sense. Some shorts. I wonder if she got in trouble for Ghost Watch. <laughs> I don't. I'm not sure if the suicide thing is real or not. It, it seems like it's kind of it urban up. legend, yeah. but it's also possible that it happened. I mean, it's like a War of the Worlds thing, but it is now. Which that's why I <laughs> can't believe Ghost Watch isn't talked about more because it seems like War of the Worlds, except maybe even crazier. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that people and it seems totally believable. If you mm-hmm. watch the movie, I could 100 percent understand. If why I was people a young was really teenager watching. Uh, in England, this like BBC special news yeah. special, I would totally think it's real. And all these actors are real news anchors from the it's like, time. Why would you not? If you just turned and, in haphazardly, and it's super clever that they act like the phone lines are like overwhelmed, yeah. and so when people really called in, it was like busy. So it was like it like at reinforced that it was like actually yeah. happening. That movie Ghost Watch is incredible that's one of my favorite like discoveries of the last couple of years i need to like create a new poster for it though because it's so ridiculous oh it is awful yeah <laughs> um, it's just like three white people like <laughs> i there must be some kind of rights thing because it was on shutter for a little while now it's not now it's again it's like impossible to find we're gonna find it and buy it this movie desperately <laughs> needs like a vinegar syndrome or um scream factory somebody needs to buy this and put it out because it's I, it's fantastic. It's probably my favorite found footage movie of all time. Yeah. And it's really creepy. It's super creepy. And I remember when we were watching it, it was a lot like uh, Haunting of Hill House where there's like mm-hmm. a certain number of ghosts that you're supposed to try and find. Um, but I don't, there's some that nobody have has still haven't Correct. found yet. Yeah. <laughs> I think Leslie Manning has said that she put like 13 in the movie. And yeah. I think people have only found like eight. And that movie <laughs> was uh, like 30 years old now. Yeah. So yeah, it's, and, and the ones that you can spot are really creepy. <laughs> but yeah, I love that movie. So, uh, and I would love to see some more of Leslie Manning stuff. Cause I think ghost watch is crazy brilliant. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so that concludes our uh what was it called hey in horror (laughs) (laughs) i keep doing it over i'm just so excited to be a beastie girl (laughs) yeah that's perfectly all right um yeah all right so that wraps up our mini segment and also wraps up our february roundup So, uh, don't forget, you can always see a list of all the movies we talked about on our Letterboxd account. You can also follow us on Twitter at Splice Podcast or on Facebook at Splice Together. Let us know what you watched this past month. Any awesome women in horror that you appreciate. Yeah. Um, and if you know where a copy of Ghostwatch is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If you've got a copy of Ghostwatch and or the behind the scenes make documentary about it i want to see both yeah 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 yeah, yeah, asap (laughs) so we'll see you soon on another episode of splice Splice together